everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, January 31st. It's Nolan Ryan's birthday, and this is episode 17 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Masaki. How's it going, Josh? Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. And Skipper Ben, what's up, Ben? Oh, you know, just sitting over here massively depressed because uh, me, a diehard Star Wars fan, hasn't stepped foot in Galaxy's Edge for one second, while my wife who's never watched one second of a Star Wars film, has not only been the pilot, but she's also been the engineer on Smuggler's Run. So things are going dandy over here at our house. Uh, I believe you are going to be able to see it before either Josh or myself. Is that correct? That's the plan. Uh, that was the rumor? Early, early uh, April. Get my one day out there. Uh, get there early to you know do the Rise of the Resistance lottery, but knowing I'll at least get to ride Smuggler's Run, uh, we'll be good. The, uh, you mentioned the lottery, and we talked about it a little bit on our last show with uh, with Gary. Uh, there's been some more negative reviews on the lottery system, in part because they're gone by like two minutes after the park opening. I've yet to see anybody present a better solution than exactly. what they're currently doing. Uh, have you guys heard anything? That's, no, that's, I've heard complaining with no proposal to make it better. Right. That's kind of the way we do things now in this, uh, <laughs> in this planet. So uh, anyway, that's not why we were. That's not why we called. Um, because we are starting a new decade, we figured we'd look back at the last one. And we have long complained about the Iger administration, and he was in charge of the company basically since 2006, roughly. So uh, everything that happened in 2010 would have been approved uh, on his watch. So we've we've outlined the good, the bad, uh, the interesting. Uh, a lot of things are mixed bags across the board. But uh, we wanted to hit on a lot of things, and while it's not going to be a total summary of the of the decade, we're going to look at some of uh, Imagineering's successes, operational successes, things like that that kind of fall in line with this show, uh, and give our thoughts on where we think uh, the company is, is, where they were in the last 10 years, and hopefully where they're headed. Uh, very ambitious topic, but uh, <laughs> something that... that, that I, go ahead. I, I forgot to look it up. Were the tangled bathrooms in the last ten years? Or they were actually okay. Good. Okay, <laughs> not so, officially part of New Fantasyland, though. Your your question's funny though because I was joking to Tim before we started recording that uh, it the amount of time that's gone by in the last uh, you know twenty years is remarkable to me because as I was putting my list together, I, I went back and made sure that everything I had on it was actually in the last ten years. About <laughs> half of it was you know in the early two thousands. I'm like, geez, I can't believe it's been that long. Yes. So, yes. For, for those playing at home, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride did not close in the past decade. Speaking in broad strokes, I was actually surprised that I didn't have a lot of items just from like a, you know, bullet pointed list under the bad, just the, some the stuff that was like inherently bad. Um, and the very first thing I had on my good list was uh, that the caramel shop in Germany opened uh, in 2010. That <laughs> I was is, thinking that too. <laughs> that is like the greatest thing that has come to Epcot in the last decade, in my opinion. I agree. I love it. <laughs> And the worst it, thing is that the best thing is a caramel shop. <laughs> <laughs> but have you had the fresh pop uh, popcorn? It is amazing. Caramel? It's great. So um, I've, I didn't really say anything publicly, and I'm not looking for like a bunch of congratulations, but my wife and I just had a baby. And while uh, the baby was basically being born, uh, my sister was down in Disney World, and she, she bought a bunch of gifts for, uh, for Emma, uh, my daughter, and she brought me uh, popcorn from the caramel shop in Germany. So that was uh, that was her present for us after uh, giving her her first niece. So 
That's excellent because you're never going to be able to go back there. Exactly. It's going to be a good decade because <laughs> kids ruin Disney World. Are you sure you had a baby? Because the last podcast you were on, uh, you could visibly hear or audibly hear the baby uh, as part of the show. It was like a, a fourth <laughs> cast member. That was no scary. comment. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, I know you had your bullet pointed list. Uh, ben, you uh, you pointedly said, "No, I'm going to chime in where where I see fit." I've had a long weekend for anybody that follows me on social media. We'll just yeah, do it it's, that it's way. Ben has a justifiable excuse. Um, but Josh, why don't you kick us off with uh, something something on your good list? Okay, so all right, so we're going to go with my shorter list first. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I have a, a, my first one is actually very silly, but it was completing the art of animation resort. I also have that on here. Excellent. Great minds. Great minds. Yes. Uh, Now care to elaborate. Sure. So, and I'm not really qualified to give the in-depth history that someone like, you know, Jim Hill would be, but, but the gist of it is that there was a a plan to open, (laughs) um, um, you know, many thousands of rooms in the, you know, in the budget category. And then September 11th happened and it crippled park attendance. There was basically no demand for that many rooms. So they opened half the resort, which became pop century. The, the, what do they call it? The, the, what years is it? It I think it was like the golden years of the legendary years of the first half of the pop century. Yeah. Right. Which that never got open. So the, the uh, view that you would have from a lot of those rooms was essentially an abandoned construction site. Right. And, and that, that persisted for a long time. And then as things picked up, they finally made the decision to complete them. And I think, and, and really the reason I put it on the list is because from a creative perspective, I like to give the company credit when I think they fix a mistake. Right. I think, I think pop century was a mistake. I think it's one of the most gaudy, ridiculous looking things on property. And at least they didn't double down with it. And they, they made something which is, you know, at least tasteful. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to call it classy, but it's, uh, no, it's not, it's you know, oversized it, props, but it's, yeah, but it's, you know, it's better than, you know, art of animation is certainly better than pop century. I would say. So I think that was a, that was a plus for the property. It is a kid friendly area for what is the value resort on property. And I would certainly welcome them expanding the art of animation concept over to the rest of pop century. I don't think there'd be too much opposition. So can I read one of my items, the corresponding item from my bad list? Go for it. Uh, Let me just read it word for word here. Uh, Not retheming pop century when they opened art of animation. (laughs) 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 Again, great minds are on the same page. It's like they had a better idea and it's sort of weird now. It's sort of this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. And Mm -hmm. I think the dichotomy of it is really brought into focus by the fact that the, um, the Skyliner comes in right between them. So it's, 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 there's definitely one that is superior to the other, at least for my mind. (laughs) I I don't think that that oversized toy theme is, is an aesthetic that anyone really would, would like. No, but Um, it's, it's simple. It's, it's kids gravitate towards it. And, mm -hmm. The good thing about that is how often, and Ben, uh, I, I have yet to have this privilege, but you've done this with uh, with your girls, I'm sure. Like, had them pick the hotel. Have you yep. have you done that yet? So uh, yep. they probably gravitate they towards stuff like that. Uh, we're staying there this summer, Art of Animation, and I can tell you that this is the first time they've really kind of had a say in the in the resort options. And the we're, we're staying the first half of our trip at our DVC resort, but staying an extended time after that we don't have any points. And so we did decide to stay on property and it was a no brainer to them that they wanted to stay at our art of animation. And, uh, 
that's maybe the thing they're most excited about doing this summer. And that's including with all the new attractions going in and all the new lands and everything they haven't seen yet. They can't stop talking about saying it art of animation. And they've been exposed to it a couple times uh, mm-hmm. since it's open. Uh, I, I think one of the most underrated uh, dining options on yep. Disney property is the food court there. And I can't, court. you know, we go out of our way to go to a, you know, quote unquote value resorts, food court to eat, uh, which you, you would never do that with All Star. You would never do that with uh, uh, Pop, and you know you don't do that at most moderates either. So they've ha- they've been exposed to that. They've seen uh, the settings and everything, and it's just been something that they've always wanted to do. So I think getting kids excited about you know staying at a hotel is definitely marks that down as a win for uh, you know one of the new concepts that they put out. Also add in the uh, the big blue pool over there is one of the yep. uh, favored pools of children as well. So there are some, yes, they're, they're still boxy, lightly, well, not lightly themed rooms, but like it, not as classy. I think that was a word that Josh used, uh, themed rooms, but it's still very much in the Disney bubble and very much geared towards children more so than I think Pop Century ever was. And uh, Yeah. No, so, I mean, my criticism was really with Pop, Pop Century. I was wondering, Ben, what mm-hmm. are your kids' thoughts on that? Have they ever expressed any they, interest in staying there? They like it, and we've stayed there mainly because of a uh, price option as opposed mm-hmm. to the accommodations there. And it's they can take it or leave it. And really, our last several trips, we've we've done some uh, staying at condos off of property. And if, if we were to give them the choice between off-property condo with a much much more space and just a much nicer setting or pop century, they would choose the condo. But if I give that same option between the condo and the same kind of room spaces that pop Cent- that uh, Art of Animation has, but also has that awesome theming in and around the property, there's no way they would want to stay at the condo. They want to stay at Art of Animation. So, uh, you know, it, it's pop century has always been take it or leave it. And it's always been, you know, a, a value uh, price wise. And that's why we, that's the only reason we've ever stayed there. I've never stayed there. Um, I've, I've gone basically, if I'm staying at a value resort, I was just going for the cheapest option and it's a place to rest my head. I imagine that with, uh, with a child that if we are staying on property, she will have some say and that the gravitation will be over there. I know my sister stayed there with her kids and, and they enjoyed it as well. But. My my anxiety goes up just looking at Pop Century. Like <laughs> I, I, it, it is so incompatible with my sensibilities that I can't even find the words for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe this might be all. There might be no truth to this whatsoever. But to me, we've also stayed at All Star, mm-hmm. and I do think there's a level between All Star and Pop Century. As much as we might be bagging on Pop here. I would much rather stay there than than the All Star Resorts. They just seem <laughs> that's probably dated fair. And, yeah, so well, uh, I don't like just for the record, I don't like that one either. <laughs> no, but I think there's a substantial drop off between the two. So uh, yeah. you know, the All Stars almost feel like you're you're away at summer camp. Yep, it's like yep. <laughs> um, let's move away from the art of animation, unless you guys have anything else on it. Nope. Okay, uh, I had one that pretty much spans the entire decade as a positive thing, and that's uh, the changes to Star Tours. I for, was this something? Did you guys do the regular, the original version of Star Tours on a regular basis? Yep. Was it like a must do? Oh, okay. oh yeah, it now, wasn't a must do, but I did it. But it was something. It was something you did. Yep. Now, when something that like was a regular thing you did gets replaced, there's always pause for concern, right? Like you you hope that whatever replaces it is better. Um, because it, it isn't always the case. In in my opinion here, 
they they knocked this out of the park and with subsequent updates because they always promise those on new rides they'll say like oh this is a video based ride we can add new things to it they actually did it on this one mm-hmm. and now what started with like 54 different ride combinations if they fully randomize things and don't care about the chronology that they've created they can have 700 different ride combinations on this with all of the uh, with all the updates that they've done and this basically started 2011 and has received an update a month ago so and the the update a month ago is essentially a completely brand new ride. Effectively, yeah. Like it's it this is not adding one scene or one character. It's a new ride from beginning to end. So yeah. uh I love that they've taken the time and the investment into doing this and it does keep that attraction extremely fresh to me. Uh I love the old classic the version that that started. I love the uh, the first update and then the subsequent updates afterwards and to me it's it's uh it's always been a must do. We do it every time we're in that park. Part of it is because it does uh, usually not have too long of a line compared to right. the other attractions in that park. Uh, but that's that's not the fault of the attraction itself. Uh, they, they, they've they've done a great job, and I'm I'm hoping they continue that. I know we're at the end of like the uh, Skywalker saga, and the, I don't know what kind of updates they might do with the other films that are coming along the line. But I mean, I would. The Mandalorian season two comes out in the fall, and if they wanted to do a Mandalorian version of this, I'd be all they in absolutely for it. Could, so yeah. uh, I hope this this is something that they uh, continue investing in. Yeah, I think the the way that they approach Star Tours, I think, makes a lot of sense because it it balances a ride that's the same every time you go through it, but is predictable and going to be a good experience with the completely random situation that you have in Smuggler's Run. You know, right. it, it, there's variability there, but there's a there's a lot of control sort of imparted on that variability. So I think there's going to continue to be room for that type of attraction, even as technology marches forward. I don't think I th- like. I guess what I'm saying is, I think something like Smuggler's Run can exist in a theme park because most of the attractions don't have that you know complete unpredictability to where the experience could <laughs> right, be ruined right. by someone. So yep. uh, I hope that they continue to make those kind of investments. And it's really kept a 35-year-old ride system incredibly fresh. Yeah. yeah. By just I mean, changing a movie. The system itself is exactly that. It was found basically a larger version of what you'd find at most mini malls, but yep. uh, they, they repurposed it. Um, I yeah, do that, li- I, go ahead. Sorry, I was just say that ride is proof of, of the value of a high-quality queue because the ride system itself, like you said, there's there's really – that's not where the value is. It's the, mm-hmm. the yeah. thematic buildup to it is what makes that thing passable. And it, right. it, it goes beyond that and makes it pretty darn good. So uh, give a lot of credit to that. I think the concept of just, it's not really a choose your own adventure, but having various points of variability throughout an attraction is is interesting. And the area that I thought this would be most applicable to in the future would be something like Mickey's Philhar Magic that they could they could build in transition scenes to something like that and you go in and see that show and you're not going to see the same show each time um i'd love to see them come up with something like that there's more than enough disney music to fill a 12-minute show in that theater and you can have logical transitions between them but um that's just uh, our armchair imagineering approach to this but uh, in general i think star tours uh all positive for uh for, for something that they've done in the last decade why don't, we, why don't we flip it over to something negative? Uh, Josh, you have uh, something on your negative 
negative list. Sure. Should I go big or should I, should I, should we ease into this? I guess we should build <laughs> up to some. I think I'm pretty sure finish? we're both going to have the same number one. <laughs> I, I, would, I actually sort of was on the fence between one and two, but I, I, I have no doubt that we have those on both Steven Tyler, lists, no so. longer shocking guests on Rock and Roller Coaster. <laughs> well, the digital removal of the finger was still funny to me that that's how they actually described what they were doing. Um, digitally I, removed his finger. Yeah. Well thought out, guys. Excellent. That was almost like when the, uh, when there was a sexual assault claim and the, the spokesperson they sent out, her name was Andrea Finger. I'm like, come uh, on, guys. Is nobody proof? Are we not doing phrasing anymore? Is nobody proofreading this stuff? But anyway, no, that's that's not on my list. Dealer's um, choice, bigger, bigger, small. Okay, so I will pick a small item. Um, putting Frozen in the Norway Pavilion. Okay. And this is really an example of what I consider to be uh, a thematic failure. It, it's the mm-hmm. one that stuck out most in my head. But it is just disregard for placemaking is really the broader category that I would put it in. Um, right. And it's, it's sort of the, the reason that I said that so many of my items appear both in the good list and the bad list is because sometimes it seems like they have a good idea that's poorly implemented or, or they have an idea that's not that great, but the implementation, you know, makes it worthy of some praise. And yep. it's just, it, you know, those are always frustrating to me because it seems in both cases like they were so close to having something that was excellent, but they made some poor decision at some point that that took a lot away from it. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of faithful to what Walt expressed as his view for the parks. And that's not to say I don't think anything should change. But I think there were some ideological ideas that he had that were really important. And one of those clearly was the blessing of size. I mean, how many times did he say it in various press releases? The whole project in Florida was inspired by the fact that there were size constraints in Disneyland. And despite the fact that they achieved the acquisition of all of that land, um, they continually do things that either fail to expand the physical capacity of the parks or they're shoehorning attractions in where they, they don't really belong, which is a detriment to, to the land. And I feel like each of those decisions you know, might not be a huge deal, but in the aggregate, what ends up happening is these parks become, at, at, to some degree, at risk of turning these places into something that is more like an amusement park and less like the you know, highly themed, sightline protected spaces that, that Disney There's less you know, separation. made its name for. They become homogenized. Right. And it's, you know, I've said it before, while it seems like all other parks are trying to differentiate themselves, and you could see it even with a, you know, Cedar Point or, you know, Cedar Fair parks, they're, they're always competing to have the tallest coaster or the fastest coaster because they're, they're trying to differentiate themselves from their competitors. And meanwhile, Disney is doing what you said there. It's just they're becoming more common and less unique. And I, that to me is just like a tragedy of business to, to take your unique offering and make it more generic. So Fantasyland is largely a fake European village. World Showcase is predominantly European countries, but meant to be real world versions of them. When you start to put in uh, fairy tales into those real world versions of, uh, of World Showcase, it, it dilutes that message. Uh, this is 100% a Fantasyland attraction. We've made this point countless times. Yep. Um, I did put this in the mixed bag category, though, and I'm probably being generous because I I really am not a fan of the fact that Frozen Ever After is an Epcot. But I do think that had they just done the Royal Summerhouse, the meet and greet, um, I'd be okay with it. And Because th- there needs to be some bending on us Epcot purists that the reality is characters need to be in that park to, to get children into that park. Um, and they did come up with a backstory, not a particularly, not a particularly like deep one, but that 
Anna and Elsa have a summer home in Norway and they are visiting. And that's the backstory. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but is it, on, it, that is on par with Homer explaining the bowling ball gift as, uh, exactly. with his name on but, it, but is, it. That's how you know who gave it to you. <laughs> but it puts them there. It puts them there. And that in itself, I'd be okay with. But there was no effort with Frozen Ever After to come up with a reason why this is why this belongs in Norway. You could use those characters to tell uh, a story about Norway or talk about the history of Norway or somehow use that familiarity to educate people about Norway or even just Scandinavian culture, but it's not. It's a it's a, an extension of the Frozen story, not an extension of the Norway story. Um, yep. And we look at what's happening over in France with Ratatouille. There is at least a cultural tie there. Um, yes, it is a rat in a kitchen, which is generally frowned upon, but there are real world settings that are uh, in that attraction in that movie that at least put it in in its place better than Frozen did. So uh, you, you said that as a small one. I, th- I think Frozen Ever After is a very significant negative strike against Epcot from a placemaking standpoint. The silence is great. For the <laughs> I, I was actually looking I, something up right before he stopped talking, which was terrible timing. I, I, was, I was just pr- ready I was praying that Ben was going to save me. <laughs> I, I was ready for Josh just, just to hop in and just start slamming all the characters he's seen in Epcot these days over the last 10 years. <laughs> I, I've got another bad one that I might be on a uh, island by myself if this is bad. And I'm saying this uh, n- knowing that Ben is on the call. And that's the Skipper Canteen. You son of a... <laughs> and here, here's, here's the reason, Ben is I, I ate there within like the first month or two that it opened and the food was fine. Not anything uh, special. I wanted more from it. I wanted more of a Jungle Cruise experience from it. And I thought it mm-hmm. was, I thought it was decorated, not really themed. Uh, the, the side room, not the main mess hall, uh, was good. Like the side room was good, but the, uh, the main mess hall, I kind of wanted this to be more of an adventurer's club type environment, yep. uh, a, a legit sea connection. And that's, that's really where it was. So perhaps I built it up unfairly, but I was disappointed in what that was. I've actually never ate there. Uh, okay. Mainly because the menu doesn't seem that appealing to me. Okay. Uh, it's not quite the fare that I uh, enjoy, but also because kudos right to them for o- keeping it like that, though, because that was one of the criticisms that it was going to be uh, stripped yep. down to basic theme park fare, and they have kept it somewhat yep. unique. Yeah, uh, but I think really the thing that made the decision all the the more solid for us, though, is after right after it opened, we did ask if we could go inside and take a look around. And mm-hmm. it was uh, it was underwhelming, and there was uh, within the decor, within the way that the waiters and waitresses were interacting with the tables, which was nothing. Uh, Whispering then, Canyon does a better job, without a doubt. And yeah. so when you combine that with looking at a menu that might be appealing to some families, to us it's not. Uh, and then the prices on top of that was definitely yeah. not appealing. Uh, I felt no need to ever go there, and that's coming from a skipper who was insanely excited about it when this was first announced. It just did not live up to the hype that, uh, you know, like you, maybe I built up inside my head. Josh, have you ever eaten there? I have not. Have you peeked inside? I have. Okay. So, I mean, you can kind of relate to it. There's, I think, a single shelf that has, like, old Christmas decorations and then a bulletin board and maybe, like, a banner of some sort. But Yep, that's about right. I, I think that, like, if this was supposed to be the mess hall that the skippers ate at, I would think, like, 
you, might, you almost might have like Rube Goldberg type effects going off. Like so, I, I don't know why I think that, but that was kind of what I had in my mind. That there was a lot of there's going to be a lot of stuff going on around. Maybe you have the um, the radio voiceover like you have in the queue, things like that. That would just kind of add to the Jungle Cruise I, feel. Yeah, because I, just, I mean, you, you have the eccentric characters of the skippers, but there's not really. You know, it would be fun to explore how they got to be that way. And that's not right. really manifest there, I would say. Well, you know, as a former skipper, I know where the break room is at the Jungle Cruise. It's out in a tent in the middle of nowhere. How about putting a, how about putting a break room back behind the kitchen? Not something, not something that people actually see in front of you, but the skippers going to and from their breaks actually walking through the restaurant to make it give it that feel of like actual skippers interacting and being in this place since that's the way it's sold. I mean, it's something that's easy to just have people walk right through there and give a little bit more appeal as, as opposed to just some waiters and waitresses dressed up to look somewhat like skippers, but don't act like them whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool, I guess, especially if you wrote it and you saw the skipper that was, that, that you had, it would, it would I, give some legitimacy to it, I guess. Like I pilots this, walking through the terminal at the airport. Hey, I guarantee the skippers would have some fun passing through there just because they'd be going to an air conditioned break room for once. <laughs> yeah. they, they, yeah. they would have no problem with the little interaction on their two minute walk. Yep. Um, why don't, I'm, I'm skipping around through my notes. Um, I had a couple of things that I put in the interesting category, not necessarily good or bad, but things that I think are of note. And one of those was the Wild Africa Trek. Have you guys done this? No, the, I have uh, not. The, the, sorry, Josh, did you say yes or no? I said no. Okay. I said so no. This, <laughs> sorry. Um, How dare said you? no, Tim. He said no. Stop. Are you, are you familiar with what it is? I am not. Okay. This is the, I think it's like three hundred dollars a person now, <laughs> yep. and it it is it's more a more intimate animal experience throughout the animal kingdom. So you get Whoa, a family uh, show. Yes, yes, <laughs> you, you get to bang a hippo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what it is, uh, you kind of start with Kilimanjaro safaris, like a uh, you're on a different type of vehicle than the actual safari truck. They'll stop to let you take pictures. Uh, if you go to the earlier one. You're there before park guests, um, and then you're walking around, uh, basically, kind of on stage, kind of off stage. Uh, you've probably seen in the background of like the big open savanna. There's been a couple of um, uh, thatch hut structures, kind of in the that that are in the distance. That's all part of the Wild Africa trek, where they really played up Kilimanjaro safaris and uh, had you get kind of up and close and lean over uh, crocodiles and you have like a, a rope bridge that goes over them. You get to uh, feed hippos and really uh, Disney's answer to SeaWorld's Discovery Cove. But the reason why I put it on here is that this originated as a concept that Jay Rizzullo had as their boutique park, the Night Kingdom concept that never really materialized. And I thought that in itself was interesting that this is really how it came to be um i think uh, ben have you done discovery cove i thought that i heard you did no i've not done discovery cove no uh, uh you don't get to bang a hippo there i think you get to fondle a dolphin is the uh, the way that the uh, <laughs> that one's written up but again it's like you know a thousand or two thousand people a day get to do it a really um high-end thing that SeaWorld does and this was disney's ultimately their answer to it using existing infrastructure as opposed to building a new park and i thought it was interesting but the, the cost, you could argue, is that it disrupts the savanna of Kilimanjaro safaris for day guests yep. and part of that ride. Like, you, you'll occasionally see people on this tour, much in the same way you might over it, like living with the land um, when they're doing the behind the scenes tour. But 
not really offering commentary positive or negative to it. I just thought it was an interesting development that they had one concept of a boutique park that evolved into a tour of the uh, Kilimanjaro Safaris area. All right. Well, I, I have. If you don't have go anything ahead. more on that, if you did, I. We, we no, go ahead. Go, I have an item on my interesting list, which is the closer the closure of Primeval Whirl. <laughs> and, and I say okay. it's interesting. I didn't want to put it on the bad list or the good list because I think it's neither. But I find it interesting because, as we've discussed, Animal Kingdom is very much uh, an experience park and it's an aesthetic park. And for the most part, it's it's beautiful. Right. But the Chester and Hester area, I think, is a pretty radical departure from that aesthetic. It, it is um, the exception. It is the asterisk to your comment. It, it, it's <laughs> terrible. Yes. Um, and there's really only one significant attraction in that immediate area and that's really not operating now so and that was a terrible off-the-shelf attraction that also had a nasty tendency to kill people there is a spinner but yeah significant attraction yeah i mean I, you know I'll qualify that a little bit yeah. um but i i'd like to think that maybe they are uh, ready to reimagine that area into something better um, let's hope so because it, it really I, I it's it's one of those things where i almost think the park as a whole would be better just by removing it um, right, I right. prefer to see it replaced with something better, um, but it's it's really really rough, and I get it. And it's another one of those you know backronym backstories that they came up with in order to essentially justify it. I think rather right, than actually right. explain it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's fascinating to me I, because I don't think they're just going to leave that ride there abandoned forever. But I have no idea what their actual intentions are. Tell that to twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Okay. And, uh, Point taken. <laughs> wonders of life. Stitch, Stitch's great escape and wonders of life. Uh, actually, later on down here, I've got uh, the studio backlot tour where they failed to develop that after two years. And uh, you want an excuse? Those vehicles had wheels and an engine, and they didn't move them for two years. So uh, there's no real excuse for Disney to procrastinate on stuff like that. I, I guess but, the reason Primeval World sticks out to me as being different than all of those is because it's one of if. Toy Story Land excluded, it's yeah. one of the very, very few times where you can actually see structural steel roller coaster supports in a Disney park, and yeah. and it's not running. So it's sort of a double whammy, if you ask me. It's it's back up and going now, is it not? Oh, is it? I like, thought it was it, still shut it down. It was for the holidays, but it, it, yeah, oh, okay. it's in it's in limited capacity. It's definitely on the list of things that probably won't be around too long. It's funny, but that whole section was thrown into the park because they needed to add capacity. Uh, right. quickly and now they're in that same situation where that park needs more capacity fast and so I I think it might be hard for them to completely remove everything out of there without adding some other stuff first oh, because absolutely. yeah if you imagine we, we are we still see the lines at Avatar the the, the that park can get uh, incre- incredibly busy with some long queues and so yeah it'll be fun to see what they do with that section but I think they have to get that thing you know running on a regular basis. I think you'll see it running during busy seasons for sure uh, until they get something else figured out. Cause there's nothing else on the dock into that park right now. That's, that's the one park where we don't know uh, what's coming. Right. Here there's in the no, future. So. nothing really announced for that park. Every other uh, park still has an e-ticket waiting. So there are, um, that park is also very heavily slanted to the left side right now. Yes. With, yes. Uh, and since we're talking about that, I'm going to put updates to Africa as uh, a major improvement to um, yep. uh, in the last decade. Uh, I've, I've jokingly said it, but really I'm serious about it, <laughs> is that it has it made Africa one of the best themed lands in the world. Relocating Festival of the Lion King there. Uh, Josh, I don't think it's your bag, but to me it's the best show on property. Uh, Harambe Market is a very solid, quick service. Uh, the one uh, downside to this is that 
uh, Zuri's Sweets opened uh, in uh, June of 2015, and the Poop Snacks lasted about yep. three days. I thought that was a great idea. It's just that people have, uh, well, poop up their butts. But um, I, I thought that was a really silly idea that was befitting to that park and a clever approach to uh, to, to a unique snack that didn't have a, a character on a cupcake. But in general, I think that adding a major quick service, adding a show to a, a land that had a good walkthrough and a great attraction um, really, really improves that area of the park. Uh, and as I said, makes the left side of that park very heavy. Harambe, Harambe Market's fantastic. Yeah, it really that is. That was a it great really addition. I, I, since, we're, since we're over there on the right side of Animal Kingdom, might as well talk Pandora as well. Josh, I actually don't think you've been over there, have you? I have not, but Pandora did appear on my list as things that were, I thought, well, Avatar Land in general as being something that is interesting. Okay. Uh, because I think it was an interesting thematic choice. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to see it, um, but I'm not, I don't really care is, is the thing. I'm, I'm very indifferent to it. And, and from <laughs> most of the people I talk to, although, you know, the ride, the attractions themselves are, are impressive. It doesn't seem to have generated a whole lot of passion from the people that I've talked to, so it's just sort of interesting to be in the in the lukewarm category. I would say you're talk you're talking to one person and one family who absolutely loves that addition to Disney World. We we would find ourselves before Pandora uh, going to Animal Kingdom for a solid day, day and a half, maybe go back over there to ride safari early in the morning or something. But now we're going back over to Animal Kingdom three, four, five times a trip. And mainly, you know, going back at night and just being in that atmosphere, Flight of Passage, uh, you know, obviously haven't done the new Star Wars stuff yet, but Flight of Passage is my favorite ride at Disney World right now. I can't get enough of that thing uh, and the, based on the lines and maybe it's part of the capacity and, you know, think, thinking of how that thing was designed when it was put together. But I also think it's got a, uh, a rabid fan base of people who just really love experience that attraction. Uh, Surprisingly the- rewritable, too. Oh, my, for, for a screen-based attraction, yeah. surprisingly rewritable. Yep, yep, and the and the oohs and ahs on that ride get me every single time, even if yeah. I know they're coming. Uh, but between that, between Satuli Canteen, which we were talking about, forward-thinking dining options at Disney World, that place is fantastic. Uh, you know, yeah. Navi, Navi River Journey. It's fine. It's it's a it's a dark ride. It's a boat ride. I'm never gonna knock Disney for putting a uh, dark boat ride in any park because it's just something I uh, I love. Uh, it maybe doesn't have the payoff factor of the current you know the wait times that you're gonna put into it to, yeah, to experience it. But we we love that entire section of the park. And this is from you know we don't care about the movie, and I don't think you really you have to, to care about the movie. It's just a really cool setting, the design, the concept, the look, everything about it. Of course, uh, you know, Joe Rody behind it, so that's probably a major reason why <laughs> uh, why it's got the, the payoff that it does. But, uh, yeah, Josh, you haven't talked to somebody who's passionate about it. You've talked to one right now because we love it. Well, I, I, my point was not that there was no one out there that was passionate about it. More That, that was exactly your point. <laughs> more that I found it <laughs> subjectively... And I, I meant to actually say this at the show open. Like I, a lot of the things on my list, the ones I've hit so far, I think are relatively significant to the park as a whole. But a lot of you know, I just a lot of these are very subjective. They're just my own taste, and that was just a choice that I found puzzling, and I still haven't really mm-hmm. found myself drawn to be there. Whereas like Star Wars Land, I'm not a Star Wars fan. If we've talked about, I don't care about it at all. But I still really did want to go and experience that land. So mm-hmm. for me personally, one had a much greater uh, draw to it than the other. Well, I'm, let me say I'm 
insanely excited to hear your review of Avatar, even though it's been open several years and everything. I, I can't wait for you to go to it for the first time and us to record that first show afterwards. Cause I, yeah, I got to get that. I got to make that happen. Just, if, just yep. if for no other purpose, other than we can talk about it on the show. Your next trip, yep. try to make it into the park before three, if you can. Well, I was, <laughs> I, I have my, my ball and chain was slowing me down that day. <laughs> Uh, you were speaking subjectively. I'll try to speak objectively about uh, about World of Avatar. The you mentioned something about when it was announced, whether it was going to be a thematic fit, and that was absolutely the debate. Like, mm-hmm. why does this movie that has war and decimation fit into Disney's Animal Kingdom? Like the themes of the movie, it's Pocahontas in space, it's the air up there in space, whatever whatever you want to do, uh, dances with wolves. Uh, it just doesn't fit with with the themes of the, of the park. There is no better thematic fit for an IP in an existing park that I've found. The mm-hmm. The way that they executed this, the way that they pulled this off, it is seamless to this park. Yep. And we wouldn't have thought that at the outset. They did an exceptional job tying this to the themes of the Animal Kingdom in a park that has very specific themes. The art direction in this is amazing. And yep. that's something that, that, that should just be noted throughout the, uh, the decade, that the art direction... Uh, love it or hate it, New Fantasyland, the art direction, fantastic. So this is this is very consistent with what I said my interesting list was, though, which was a weird idea that was executed so good that it transforms it into a good idea. I mean, yeah, it, that's fair. All right. Sweet. So we agree. Nice. So, so, so something else related to this, though, is that this changed other areas of the park, that they opened up that central hub in front of the Tree of Life. They had the Tree of Life Awakenings, which were great, yep. um, that opened a year before. Uh, in theory, they uh, executed a nighttime show. Huh. We're being very loose in calling it a nighttime show, and I'm certainly going to put that in the bad category That's in Rivers online. of Light. I but, like the current version. Uh, the current, I, I have not seen the current version, but it seems like it's even more disjointed than the Jungle Book show. But to be, anyway. to be fair, I didn't see the previous versions. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, that is insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's a step up from crap. So the, uh, <laughs> regardless, uh, it did it did transform that park. And to uh, to Ben's comment on Navi River Journey. Yes, it probably underwhelmed people who were hoping that it was another DRE ticket boat ride because we've seen so many of those. But the park did need an indoor ride uh, that was like a calm, family-friendly ride. Uh, Criticisms of Animal Kingdom have been, go there with a pregnant person. There's not a whole lot that they can do. Go anywhere with a pregnant person. That's fair. But there, there isn't a lot there that doesn't have a height requirement other than the safari. And... That's a problem in Animal Kingdom and Hollywood Studios at this point. So anytime they add those family-friendly attractions uh, anywhere in these parks, I welcome it. And I, I'm very pleased that there's a couple of them in development, both in Ratatouille and Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway that should both open this year. So yes, Navi River Journey, I certainly get people that are looking for thrills, that want to go on just Flight of Passage and Expedition Everest and those types of things. I get it. It's not necessarily for you. But there needs to be, there's always been that balance in Disney parks of the family-friendly attractions, and Animal Kingdom was lacking in those, other than the safari. So I'm, I, w- I will give them a pass for that not being, you know, a 15-minute boat ride because it does scratch that itch. But in general, I am very pleased with the Avatar edition, and I wasn't 100% on board with it when it was uh, when it was approved. So I love having my mind changed. I mean, that's that's awesome. 
Are you have anything else on Avatar there? Because I, I actually had a miss that's kind of connected to Avatar. Go for it. <clears throat> One of my misses, and, and really, it's not just Avatar, but it's everything that's that's come since. But uh, it's something that wasn't even built at Disney or, or designed or anything there. June of 2010 is when The Wizarding World of Harry Potter opened at Islands of Adventure. Okay. And... You know, famously, the story going back that that you know Disney had an opportunity to to build this and and put this in their parks, and for whatever reason, deals weren't made with J.K. Rawlings and it ended up at Universal. But everything since the opening of that park that's happened at Disney World has been, you can argue that's been directly connected to what they've been doing down the street at Universal. That that is Avatar. Everybody knew when they announced Avatar, we all thought it was a knee jerk reaction to yeah. needing something that that was uh, gonna. You know, batch up with what with Harry Potter, Star Wars, same thing. They, you know, the immersive experiences that they built at Universal. That's the, the reason we we got Galaxy's Edge the way it was designed and, and the played out. Just a shade under a decade. <laughs> yep. So uh, that I uh, that's a major major miss. What if what if Disney had landed Harry Potter and, and built that at their parks? Would we have been talking about Avatar? Would we have been talking about Galaxy's Edge? What would have been no. the last 10 years been like? Yeah. Uh, Competition and, you know, works. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And, and do we, I don't know if Disney would have built a better ver- version of Harry Potter than what Universal did. I can almost guarantee and, you they would not have. Yeah. What they would have done is they would have done a single attraction, probably a D ticket, maybe an E. But I just think that if Disney had the the rights to it, they would have... They would have done it lightly, and we wouldn't have seen anything else. We wouldn't have seen the need for them to push because you got to remember, back in the day, Universal was so close to losing those parks. They were like running them on bare bones leading up to Harry Potter. That that saved that resort, and I think the we'd be looking at a totally different environment of Disney World. They would have been adding things maybe once every five to ten years, and that was it because yeah, they honestly, could just milk what they could. We owe a lot to J.K. Rowling for having higher standards than the Disney company did, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely. a lesson was learned there. And if that, if that had not happened, it's almost hard to imagine what could have come after it that would have, that would have reversed that trend. Yeah, yeah. Um, changing topics away from that, I have one that I don't know that's going to be on either of your lists. But I, I th- I, it's, it's kind of an odd thing for me to put in the good category. And that's the Frozen sing-along in Hollywood Studios. <laughs> and uh, I lo- correct, I love it is not I on my it. list. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what are you saying, Ben? I love it. We love okay. it. So the reason why it's on my list, for, it's, there's a few reasons. One, it uses old uh, comedy warehouse performers yep. um, as part of it, which is great. Uh, this was something that was incredibly popular out of the gate and something that I've long advocated for, that uh, there needs to be some sort of flex theater at Hollywood Studios or the Magic Kingdom. I think those are the two parks where it would work the, the best for whatever the flavor of the month is from a movie standpoint. And in the, in the case of this, that's exactly what they did. They put out a show very, very quickly because Frozen was a phenomenon. And it was just a retelling of the show using the music, but they added a spin to it with, uh, with comedy to make it bearable for, uh, for the parents. And there it was, it was self-aware. Like before they sing, let it go, they'll say, Hey parents, mom and dad, you ready for this? Cause you know, it's coming. Um, and this started out in that old uh, Hunchback Theater, if I'm not mistaken, before they moved it to the American Idol Experience Theater. So nothing lost Which, there. That was, if you ever experienced it back in the Hunchback Theater, the queuing for that thing, because it was so popular, yeah, it was nuts. one of the most insane things Disney has ever done. It's not far off from the boarding process group 
uh, yep. that they're using right now. Uh, although it was slips of paper, if I recall correctly. Yep. Um, but it was something that was they they put Frozen in there as quickly as possible. And uh, Ben, I don't know how old uh, your girls were at the time. If there was demand for seeing Anna and Elsa, but like they had four and five hour waits. Uh, in the Norway meet and greet area initially. Uh, it was really just kind of a crazy phenomenon, and this was a very good way to scratch that itch quickly. Um, you're going you're gonna to learn quickly that when things like that have four- and five-hour waits, you don't yep. tell the kids about that until we did that. <laughs> trips later. It's awesome. We did a trip with um, family friend. Their daughter was, I believe, four or five at the time and absolutely loved Frozen, and we did not go to that area of Epcot. Uh, nope. <laughs> Because now, one technique you could do is if you te- if you never teach your child to read, you can actually extend that window out for a much longer period of time. <laughs> it's a good strategy. It's a good strategy. There could be some unintended consequences, but hey. Um, Josh, what do you have? Uh, what else do you have on your good list? Uh, all right, let's go with a, with a minor one, that, and this okay. is one that I, I don't think anyone cares about. So it's probably not one that's going to irritate anyone. Yeah. Um, but I think removing the CM from the land, uh, from living with the land and replacing it with an automated narration was actually an improvement. Um, Interesting. I am, and, and like I said, I think I'm probably the only one who cares. And probably if anyone, if, to all the people who have never thought about this and hearing me say it, most of them probably disagree. Um, but I love unattended attractions. I think it's just maybe a product of me being an only child and not, you know, <laughs> being better with machines and with people. But I just like, to me, it's more serene and enjoyable to be able to sit back without having a cast member right there, especially if you're in one of the front rows. Um, just being that close to someone who's sort of standing up while I'm sitting down and it's, uh, it was less comfortable to me. So I find it to be a more relaxing and enjoyable experience now. So I might be able to shit on that one moment. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I believe that happened in the 2000s, not the 2010s. I thought it happened in 2006, uh, oh, <laughs> I believe, when it happened. Uh, yes, that happened in 2006. Leave uh, it in. But nice try. Um, it, it stays. <laughs> <laughs> to, that, to that point, though, I actually, I mean, it, it was something that I had on there as well, and then I saw the date and, you know, did my actual research, unlike some people. Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> now, now were, you, were you for it or against it when it was on your list? So it's tough because, in general, I like the idea of having a spieler on an attraction, except I complain about the spielers on the Living with the Land and Great Movie Ride uh, and, to a lesser extent, the Studio Backlot Tour because so often it was so canned and so overscripted that it was tough whereas something on like the jungle cruise you do get a little bit of the personality of the spieler so when there was a level of freedom on the script uh i was more in favor of it so i, I i'd say interesting is probably a better better call for okay. it than so yeah. i think also the 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 educational nature of it as opposed to if you were to sort of look at the spectrum of education versus entertainment, I think living with the land is biased a bit more toward the educational side. Sure, sure. And that, to me, sort of removes the degree to which a personality necessarily helps. It's like, mm-hmm. if you watch the Discovery Channel, there's a certain cadence that those narrators all speak with. They, they all have a very nice, sort of pleasant, <laughs> nondescript voice. I'm and laughing talk- because one of the last tour guides we had on Living with the Land sounded like Mr. Movie Phone. So very yeah. deliberate cadence is, is accurate. Now, if it, if it were Mr. Skin, that might be funny. <laughs> different, different type of... Uh, You're about to get a seed shot at 4622 around here with a cacao plant. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. So I don't know. That that was just. I really tried to. I've, I'm sorry that I got the date wrong. I thought I I thought I date checked all of them, but apparently I didn't. Um, it's not going to look good on your record. <laughs> I was just trying to think of things that are somewhat obscure, but that. But no, I'm I, sure I get what you're saying. I'm sure there there was some discussion about that in Imagineering as to whether sure. or not that was you know sacrilege or not. So uh, I support it. I liked uh, it when they built Space Mountain, and that. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of circling back, Ben, Jerk. I think you had some, uh, I, I cut you off on Frozen talk. Uh, yeah, do you have anything else on that? This was an interesting one, I thought, and this comes off of the four and five hour waits to meet Anna and Elsa. But after after that all went down, Disney completely rethought the way that they did character meet and greet experiences. And as a father with two young kill- children who like to get autograph books and meet did characters. Did you say children? <laughs> Page <Paging> Dr. Freud. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if there's little kids listening right now, uh, one, you're awful parents for letting them listen. Uh, and two, I'll, I'll give true. it a second. You can uh, <laughs> jump, jump ahead a, a few seconds on the uh, podcast, but uh, doing the multi-rooms in the meet and greets with multiple oh, characters and killing that time, I think they saw how much time people were wasting in lines for these things and not having fast passes set up at, at that point either uh, and you know, eventually adding that to the system. But... M- just completely rethinking how they did their meet and greet experiences with their most popular characters might not be the best thing they've done, not the worst thing, but I think it's definitely something interesting by uh, making that experience just much more enjoyable for parents who none of us liked sitting in those extremely long lines to, you know, with with little payoff as far as like a rider experience, you know, it is neat meeting Mickey. You got to do it. Uh, meeting Anna and Elsa, things like that. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, it's, it's the, the time that you invested into waiting always paid off in the old way. So coming up with a new concept that really streamlined that process was, uh, I find that very interesting. This kind of blends into new fantasy land talk as well, yep. because yep. this really, uh, the the concept of multiple rooms originated with the Mickey Mouse meet and greet that was in Toontown Fair, right? I think they yep. had like three rooms there. The concept of multiple rooms started with Journey into Imagination with the original Dreamcatcher carousel. Okay, yes, that that's. A, I mean, it, it was used in a few different ways. Speaking specifically about characters, uh, okay. I, I believe Mickey was the first one to do it because okay. he's he's the OG. Uh, he, he is the, uh, uh, the the character that but is he, the even, highest demand. Even then, I think it might have only been two rooms for him back okay. there. To whereas now, I believe it's four up on Main Street, and I know it's. I want to say it's four at Summer House as well. Like they 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 have broken I don't think it's it off four to at Summer House. It might be three, but it might be three. Okay, uh, so but they've they've taken it to the next level of sure. really efficiently moving people through that line. But to Josh's point as well about imagination, like these are types of things. Now you build identical things over in uh, Galaxy's Edge, where yep. Yep. you have yep. the three different rooms on the spaceship uh, going there. So uh, you, you have redundancies for throughput purposes. Which um, is, another, a, is an ops nerd and someone who like really you know, gets excited about how they pull that stuff off. To me, that's some of the most interesting and fascinating yep. stuff. I th- but that, I think that's the nature of the so show. Cool. Not only just the creative side of things, but the operational side of things as well is interesting to us. Um, you see it over at Harry Potter and Diagon Alley where they recognize the demand for the wand show. So they built in three or four rooms for that as well. So uh, to that point, when they announced 
um, New Fantasyland. They announced it at the D23 Expo in 2009, and it was three princess meet-and-greet experiences, all with multiple rooms. So, uh, and I should uh, enunciate, this is going to be calling out a, a friend of the show, Will Moore. Uh, I said rooms there, not rooms, so you don't get to drink. <laughs> so they had a Aurora meet-and-greet, a Cinderella meet-and-greet, and Enchanted Tales with Belle, all of which were like the highly... Uh, immersive meet and greet. It wasn't just getting your picture taken with the princess. And going through the timeline of uh, the decade, I also noticed that shortly after that was announced, they changed the name of the carousel, uh, Cinderella's Golden Carousel, the Prince Charming's Regal Carousel. And I think it was done knowing that like Fantasyland was about to was about to get a lot girlier <laughs> with a lot more princesses. And this this uh, that name change happened before they officially announced that Seven Dwarfs Mine Train was replacing two of those meet and greets. So the entire process of New Fantasyland was an interesting one because Disney announced they'd greenlit something and then they they backtracked on it and they did that a lot at the beginning of this uh, decade <laughs> hyperion wharf was another one those are the two big ones that were announced but in this case new Fantasyland, um a lot of people were underwhelmed by it because it didn't have an e-ticket anchor in general though what is the opinion that you guys have on new Fantasyland? um i think it's good i think that the seven doors mine train gets a lot of slack or a lot of flack rather from people that are sort of Disney nerds like us. I think yep. it's a good attraction. I think that it does a very good job of spanning. I mean, there's two, there's two things that it tries to span and you know, it's one of those things where trying to appease everyone can result in something really bad where you please sure. no one, but it's trying to bridge the gap between a thrill ride and a dark ride, which I think it does a job at. And it's also trying to span the gap between a thrill ride for adults and a ride that's that's tame enough for children. And I think it does an excellent job at that. Um, it's not like the Barnstormer where no adult would have any interest in riding right. on it. But it's also not something, you know, the swaying cars does a lot to eliminate the, the lateral loads on riders that are, that are yep. a big contributor to getting sick. So it's a, a very creative implementation of a ride system where the scale of it is big. Um, you know, it's, it's a big attraction. It's, it's prominently placed in the land. It's certainly a weenie for that area. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, everyone who sees it and gets excited by it can probably enjoy it without having the rest of their day ruined by, by being sick or being injured by, you know, a, a rough ride that someone might be too old or frail to, to enjoy. So I think it's a, I think it's a, an important addition to that land. And I think it was extraordinarily well done. The, I think it's, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, I think it's aged well. I think yeah, it blends. I think it blends. It, it seems like it's it's supposed it's to be the other back areas there. Of Fantasyland not age as well though. <laughs> it, I I do agree with that. Um, but you know you are looking at eight years now from Phase One opening. Yeah. And they've added some of the stuff in the back that the castle walls inspires to kind of make it feel like you are now venturing outside of the castle into a right. you know forest area. It, it it seems like it should be back there. Uh, I guess that's me. Uh, we like the rides. We like we like Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. You know, as a family uh, friendly coaster, it's something that we welcome. Uh, be our guest. I think the 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 concept's still great. Uh, we like eating there. I think the food quality's gone down a little bit since it first opened, but uh, introduces just, booze to the Magic Kingdom. That's something that does yep. worth saying. Yeah, wasn't yep. that supposed to bring the sky down? That's what I, I remember reading online that all hell was yeah, going to break loose. Yeah, it's just science. <laughs> and, it, and it gave us uh, Lafru's Brew, which is you know the best Ugh. Disney treat in any of the Ugh. parks. 
I don't, but, I don't no, mind I, it, but I'd rather have a frozen lemonade, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, it's fine. But it does it does seem like it, you know, it looks like it should be back there. The, 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 yeah, it looks uh, like it belongs. It looks like it belongs. The... There's there's some other interesting components to this beyond just the general umbrella. It, it's it's good, not great. Um, some some inconsistent things where Seven Dwarves Mine Train uh, kind of started the trend of underbuilding rides. Well, maybe it didn't start it because I guess Soren probably started it uh, where they didn't have enough capacity to yep. meet demand. They fixed it with Soren. They fixed it with Toy Story Mania. And then they go ahead, like, those things had to have been approved, because that happened, I want to say, like, 2015, 2016. I've got the dates somewhere in here. But uh, then they approved Frozen, which is basically wildly increasing the demand of the attraction of Maelstrom's footprint. Um, you build a roller coaster that is underbuilt from a capacity standpoint. But then, conversely, you also double the capacity for Dumbo as part of the same project. So there's some confusing things capacity-wise that they did over the last decade that I think needs to at least be acknowledged. With uh, with Dumbo, they introduced the virtual queuing area as well, the holding area, which I think is a welcome addition for some Fantasyland-type rides. I don't ride Dumbo all that often, but I think it's a good idea because it is uh, fodder for children, and letting them play and kind of unwind in air conditioning is a, uh, a great approach to, uh, to waiting as opposed to standing in an hour-long line in the heat. But to your point about capacity, and I, I, meant, I alluded to this earlier, while they have done made some efforts to increase ride capacity, they haven't done a lot to increase park capacity. Right, so, right, right. You know, it's replacing. Yeah, we, haven't had, we the, haven't had a major ride since Seven Dwarfs, right? At Magic Kingdom. It's been six years. No, but I mean, yeah. they're increasing the demand for people to be in the parks, but they're not providing any more room for them to be there. So you're, you're right. nut to butt with people, which is not a pleasant experience. And we, the good. majority of time that you spend in, in a theme park is not on a ride. It is traversing the park. So that aspect of it, ha- and that's the thing that Disney was always the best at. They were better at it than anyone. And, and our among the best now, but I would say not the best, but to not expand the park boundaries at all or to not provide more room. They made a meager attempt to do it with the hub. Um, I think that is moving forward going to be the crisis that that park has. There's just not a physical enough physical space to hold the people that are in it. There is not enough ride capacity. And for, uh, I'm a fan of the little mermaid ride. Uh, yes, it's a book report ride, but I like it. I think, uh, for what it is, it is a well done attraction. And I think the park, the Magic Kingdom specifically, needs a handful of other rides like that, that just scratch that itch, that are wildly efficient. They're not necessarily going to move the uh, needle attendance-wise, but are giving more high-capacity things for people to do. And they don't all have to be in Fantasyland. If you can spread them out across the rest of the park, um, those types of things absorb crowds in the highest-attended theme park in the world. That's why I think it's... It's kind of a shame that they're not doing anything like in the Stitch area ahead of yeah. Tron opening because that's going to be a nightmare when that thing's right. on. They they need a speed bump to help slow You're people going right. down from that that spot because otherwise they we're going to have another. Effect. They do, yeah, for yeah. sure. And they've got the spot to do it, and they still haven't said they're doing anything there yet. And we're closing in on that attraction opening quickly. Yep. Well, they're not going to have enough time to do it. So. If that wraps up that topic for you guys, that it's a perfect segue to the next. Uh, Best and worst item on my list. And this is a little bit speculative, but I think uh, a great decision is adding the, the Tron light cycle run to Tomorrowland. 
Mm -hmm. um, for a number of reasons. One, because the ride looks absolutely awesome from the video mm -hmm. I've seen. The aesthetic of the building is absolutely awesome. It completely fits with the idea of Tomorrowland. It gives them their IP tie-in, which they care so much about. So I think that was a, a smart Gonna play. Sell a lot of Tron units with that. Yeah, well, they've you know, and also from an economics perspective, it's 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 a cooked bun already. You know, they've built one of these things. They've got the Still specifications. Still pricey as all hell, though. That's an expensive attraction. It's but, all right, yes. but they're the the you know the amortized costs across building two of them makes them both cheaper. And uh, so there's a you know not literally, but you know per <laughs> unit. Um, <laughs> um, so I think I'm excited about that, and that's something that I absolutely want to go ride that when it opens. I'm very much looking forward to it, and that brings me to the corresponding bad decision item on my list. The okay. location of it is insane. And I've said this before on every podcast I've been on, but to take that beautiful, expensive, stunning show building that has a modern Tomorrowland aesthetic and to put it behind the Briggs & Stratton experience that is loud <laughs> and ugly uh, and stinky is, to me, a ponderous decision. And I still hope, beyond all hopes, that they are trolling us with that and that that speedway is getting pulled out of there once that ride opens because if not if the real long-term plan is to have that building hidden behind the speedway then somebody should get fired for that in my opinion that is just nonsense but uh, that's, a uh, that's so really... many kids first time driving a car you can't yeah. take that away from them yeah they'll have so a nice said, time driving a car i've <laughs> said speedway should have been part of uh, uh toy story land to uh, allow them to remove it. But uh, did you, and I don't know if this is true, and I suspect it isn't because they've shown concept art to the contrary, but there was a rumor that out in California, should they get a Tron attraction out there, that it would effectively have the canopy going over the entrance to their Tomorrowland, which would be badass. Yeah, that'd be cool. So to your, to your point, if nothing else, if they can update the speedway to be electric cars, sleeker designs, not you know, the 1971 aesthetic, um, that would help. But uh, your greater point is there that, yes, it belongs and fits thematically into Tomorrowland, but uh, the thing that is immediately in front of it does not. Yeah. So, well, and and I think even Walt, I mean, honestly, I think, sorry, Ben, uh, let no, me ben. finish out and I'll let you go. I'm, I'm going to let you finish. Um, I think... I think that Walt, if he were here, and again, this is purely speculative, obviously, I feel like the the speedway that Walt built, the auto, Autopia, Autopia, right? Sorry. Uh, was about 10% better than Primeval World. It was, you know, it's an off-the-shelf quick add to a land that was deficient. I think Walt would admit that. Yep. You know, I don't think that was his pride and joy. I think it was something that was there because they needed something. And for it to right. be there now all these years later, of all of the irreverence that the company has shown toward pulling out classic attractions that had tremendous mindshare, for that to be the thing that they're sentimental about and digging their heels in is, is ridiculous. It's just it's a decision I can't figure out. I really got to hope that they're just going to tear that thing up once Tron's opens and they're leaving it open now. To, to stem the tide of, you know, to eat some people and to not incur any bad press when they don't need to. Well, and uh, part of me thinks, you know, out at Shanghai, uh, granted we have the two Dumbo spinners right around the corner from where Tron's being built, but in Shanghai they do have that spinner that's out in front of there where it's like you're, you have jetpacks oh, yeah, yeah. strapped onto you and you're up and down. And 
I think that would be an awesome addition and could go right in that speedway spot. You know, there's all the you always talk about kinetic energy and the movement and you can put three splash mountains in that speedway. If you're only thinking a spinner, you gotta jump up your uh, your expectations of <laughs> well, what can fit there. That yeah, is a yeah, huge sure it holds two hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it's a start. We'll just say it's a start. We're we're talking about that I'm not putting anything in stitch as a road bump, so uh you know, about, we'll, it's twenty we'll, twenty environmentalism is very hip how about you just have a, a you know a, a nice grassy area i mean it, it's not we this park is no longer empty it's not I, this is going to be a stupid analogy to anyone who's never i done appreciate this. you wanting an area dedicated to me but i think you can do a little bit better than just an <laughs> area just for me well played well played i i did uh, just see the uh ride vehicles for the the big hero six baymax uh spinner ride that's like a oh yeah the a, loop ride a, going to tokyo give, give me that as well while we're at it we'll just sure put why the, not we'll, i'll take yeah. it the analogy that i wanted to share is it's and i found myself doing this a little bit on myself but people who build model railroads when when they're first getting started they have a tendency you know at first they have nothing all they have is train track and a couple of trains right so it doesn't look complete so in order to try and make it seem complete they just start putting everything up there on that layout, you know, everything from the kitchen sink. And before you know it, it's a cluttered mess. And it's it's a disaster, not because of what isn't there, but because of all the stuff that's there that shouldn't be there. It takes a little bit of experience and trust in people to like something that looks nice to be able to pull away the things that aren't necessary. And, you know, Walt Disney World is the most complete vacation destination on the planet. They don't need to have a Pigeon Forge style go-kart experience that's worse than any go-kart experience in the world. So I wish they just have a little bit of trust to be like, you know, if you've got a, you know, a quarter acre of empty land and that area is bigger than that. Um, that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're not doing your job. You know, at yeah. some point you just have to say no. Steve Jobs famously said that it's not the things he said yes to that made Apple successful. It's all the things he said no to. It's, it's I think it's time. Just clean this area up. Get the clutter out. Make it look nice again. The um, I don't know if it was if it was Ron or somebody else on uh, Kingdom Cast, but the Magic Kingdom is basically a giant train set. Uh, Disneyland certainly started out that way, where it really is a, a life-size model railroad, and just trying to come up with the uh, the stops along the train station or yep. the the, the, tra- the railroad tracks. So, um, I, I like that comparison to what this is. Um, for me, a speedway type attraction now, because it takes up so much space, needs to be integrated with other areas. It needs to be thought out with a master plan of an area, as opposed to taking up just a significant chunk of real estate adjacent to the most valuable real estate in Walt Disney World and Fantasyland. Yep, I agree 100%. And there's and there's so much they could do with, with self-driving cars. Make it a transportation system. Make yep. it something where it takes you from Tomorrowland to Fantasyland. That was a route that you used to be able to take on the Skyway, so connecting those lands is not totally forward to the park. But just to have what they have now is just not the right choice. I think put, we can all agree to that. Put Radiator Springs racers there. Be an oh. odd fit, but okay. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> thematic problem solved. Put, put three Splash Mountains there. <laughs> there you Tim go. said it could be done. <laughs> um, since we're in Tomorrowland, I don't know if this is good or bad. Uh, the Space Mountain off-ride audio track that was added, uh, that was added uh, in 2010. I like that they added music to it. I hate that it's off-ride audio. And really, Space Mountain needs... Uh, top to bottom redo new track and just do it correctly and it's going to look very very dated once tron opens up um i'm okay it, with it looking dated. Does. 
And, I, and I'll tell you why. Feel, I, feeling dated is more accurate, but yes. I, I think it seems to me, and I'm, this is going to this is going to actually implicate a couple of items on my list. One from the interesting column, which is they're reimagining of the entrance side to Tomorrowland. Okay. They they went away from the gaudy sign that they had there uh, since '94, and they went back to that simple white concrete looking aesthetic. And this one, I know there's some controversy about because I've read people online saying that it, it looks stupid, and I personally like that aesthetic a lot. I like I will, it a lot. I will admit it doesn't match the rest of Tomorrowland right now, but the reason I put this item in the uh, interesting category is that my hope is that um, there will be a retheming throughout that land to go back. It doesn't, I, and I say go back. Let me rephrase that: to embrace a more simple, modern, clean-lined aesthetic. There are absolutely hints of it right now. Like they're yep. they're they're pulling down. They're probably fifty percent of the way there. Yep. So I, I have some optimism there. And I think if you look at a lot of, even if you look at the Tomorrowland film, some, a lot of the sort of mid-century modern or retro-futuristic imagery. Speaking invo- of things that I overhyped. <laughs> yeah, well, we all did. <laughs> involve these sort of very sim- simple geometric shapes like what Space Mountain is, sort of juxtaposed against more flashy modern futuristic buildings. So I'm not sure that those two things together, even though they don't match, won't come together to create a very interesting sight line that does look sort of like, you know, just because you're in the future doesn't mean that everything is brand new. And sure. certainly the, the one thing that the Space Mountain show building has going for it is that it doesn't look like a lot of other buildings. You know, there's a couple amphitheaters around the country. I don't have an issue have with that. the building itself. I have an issue with everything inside. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then we're, okay. we're pretty much on the same page. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to argue the the actual gravity building for Tron is not particularly interesting, and I don't know how hidden it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be as bad as Guardians, but I well, think it's going to be list. visible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, um, sure, I'm sure we both have Guardians building on our list. <laughs> so uh, some other kind of quick hit items here. Uh, I put in the Q slash scene one, whatever you want to call them updates that they've did at a few different things in the magic kingdom uh haunted mansion thunder mountain railroad peter pan's flight um i think the motivations for those tie back to the uh elephant in the room which is next gen that we're not talking about yet that's Um, that's number one (laughs) (laughs) but i think i think that the the motivation for doing those things was uh was related to next gen but in general i think we can say that they're, that they're positive additions, that you're adding something to the queue there. Uh, I think Haunted Mansion is confusing in, in areas, but in general, I like these three additions, the uh, updates to these three queues. I think the Peter Pan one is very, very good. It, it's yep. certainly, in terms of visual impact, is much more modern and impactful than anything in the ride itself. But compared to what was there before, it's definitely a plus. So moving away, I've got one that's just kind of out there, and I, I mention it only because it showcased other technology. And that's the Legend of Captain Jack Sparrow exhibit at Hollywood Studios. Uh, this was only around for a couple of years. Um, ben, I think you did it. Josh, I don't know if you did. Uh, I don't remember if I did. Yeah, so I did it a few, few times. It was kind of, it was near where um, like the Walt Disney Presents area is now. Uh, the building is no longer there. It's now the walkway to Toy Story Land. But... This was a, uh, a test of like Disney's equivalent to the Musion technology that Universal used in a hand or uses in a handful of things. Had a really uh, good visual of Jack Sparrow in there interacting with the environment, and I think it's it kind oh, of oh yeah yeah I know I did I thought 
didn't they do something like that at World Showplace, or is that something different? Uh, I don't think so in there. Mm. I, I could be okay. mistaken, but this I, I only mention it because it showcased technology. And they, there's a handful of things like that, like the uh, holiday drone show that they did over at Disney Springs, um, that it, or just precedents that were set that I thought were interesting, um, like bringing back Captain EO, saying that, yes, we can bring back something for a limited run. Um, but in terms of showcasing technology where the original showcase isn't necessarily good, but the technology is, uh, the magic, the memories and you castle projection show, uh, started at the beginning of the, uh, of the decade. That was where they like took pictures of people around the parks and projected them on the castle and like six people could see them. But the projection mapping itself was something they rolled out possibly too much, but was a, an impressive trick in their, in their sleeve that they well, introduced. And that, that was also in the uh, Captain Jack uh, experience yeah, exactly. as well. And, exactly. and that was the first time, you know, I think we've, we've all seen it's impressive on the large buildings, but to see it like up close and in your face, like they did in that little small space uh, was mind blowing. And actually something I'm surprised we haven't seen more. I think we will see it uh, on future attractions, but it's and, and, actually, it. and we've had it to an extent on some of the effects in rise of the resistance as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I, that Captain Jack experience is, uh, didn't get, I don't know. It, it wasn't a great experience, but the stuff that you actually saw in there on the tech side, like you said, uh, was really, really neat to, to see some of that stuff up close and personal. Uh, a couple of other small in my interesting category, the, uh, misadventure falls, uh, attraction that went to Typhoon Lagoon. Uh, this had a uh, Society of Explorers and Adventure tie-in, and it was the closest thing to a non-IP ride added to the parks in the last decade that was a new build. Um, the other interesting thing that I thought was the music of Pixar Live. And not that the show itself had any level of interest to me, but the fact that they used a theater for two different shows at the same time. They used it for Beauty and the Beast live on stage. Ironically, Beauty and the Beast once again being used uh, split time with the theater because we don't have enough representation of Beauty and the Beast throughout the parks um, with the split time with the sing-along and Impressions to France. So things like that that I just I, I thought were interesting operational decisions uh, that needed to be mentioned. But um, we've kind of danced around a few uh, bigger items here. Do you guys want to dip into Next Gen now or do you want to save that for the end? Uh, I mean, I've just got really a couple, a short hit list here of things that don't really warrant any discussion, just things that I think are maybe worth recollecting. Sure. Um, I really like that they repurposed the Odyssey building. Yeah. Um, it's a neat structure. Uh, I have a lot of memories there personally, uh, both inside and out. And I like that they're now using it, this place that has a lot of nostalgia for a lot of people, and they're using it as a presentation space to show cart, you know, park-based content. Yeah. Um, and the presentation that's there now is excellently done. Uh, you know, regardless of whether or not you agree with what they're saying, it's it's just it's neat to be able to go into that building and have an impressive experience. So I'm all for that. Um, let's Agreed. see anything else here. Um, I thought the Tron overlay to test track, although it was controversial, and a lot of people don't like it, and a lot of people are just sort of fundamentally down on overlays. I think that version of test track, the version of test track that is there now, is infinitely more compatible with Epcot than the last one was. The pre-show and post-show, especially, are very Epcot to me. The music yeah. in there, and music is such a big part of any Epcot attraction, um, and, and they really nailed they would, that music. They would integrate the pre-show design into the attraction itself better. And part of that is just the failures of my magic plus where the synchronization is not working as well as it should. And we will be getting there soon. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
I, I guess uh, going back to the projection mapping, uh, a quick hit. I really like Happily Ever After, which uses that projection mapping combined with the fireworks show um, as, a, as a very solid fireworks show. But, Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Other quick hits, Trader Sam's Grog Grotto. Like Trader Sam's over in Disneyland, uh, Grog Grotto is a great place. Uh, yes, the drinks are expensive, but it's a really cool environment to, uh, to get a drink. It's a little big. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I don't think is on your list, Josh. Um, the Hall of Presidents update in 2017. This was, by all accounts, a div- any any pre- any Hall of Presidents update is going to be divisive because if you don't like the guy that's being added in, you're not going to like the uh, the update. It's the best update ever. <laughs> I am not a Trump supporter. This is a great update. Uh, they they updated the video. They updated the audio. Uh, Trump doesn't really look like Trump, but aside from that, I think they did a very good job with this update. And I welcome these types of regular additions uh, to these educational attractions. They updated American Adventure within the last 10 years as well, just updating the finale film. They may not be things that I do every trip, but I, I do like when they when they improve them. The conspiracy that they repurpose the uh, already planned Hillary audio animatronic for Trump's <laughs> audio animatronic is one of my favorite stories, Disney stories, <laughs> of the last ten years. That's it looks more like John Voight than Hillary, but still <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, the the best one is going to be when they put the Bernie Sanders one in there and replace the queue with a bread line. <laughs> That's really going to be testing the. Um, uh, I'll ignore the comment, but it's really going to be testing the um, uh, the compliance of the animatronics with his spastic hand motions. That's really going to be the uh, the more amusing. The hair test. alone is going to be challenging. <laughs> well, they've already failed at animatronic hair in um, uh, Little Mermaid, so we'll see if they can try again. With <laughs> You're going to be the political discussion right? for the yeah, show. Exactly. <laughs> Next, Politics. we're going to text. You guys um, want to just. Uh, just chat religion for a bit just to make sure, <laughs> sure, sure absolutely sure. everyone. <laughs> um, why don't we uh, quickly move over to Disney Springs yep. uh, this, this opened in phases uh, for three to four years there were some cool things in here uh, a fantastic expansion to the restaurant uh, yes. listing that they have over there um, Ben I don't know if you, you're you were a big Pleasure Island fan Josh were you uh, a big visitor to Pleasure Island or no not a big visitor, but I, I went to the comedy club. I went to the, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot the name of it. Um, what was Adventurous the, Club? Yes, thank you, Cheese. <laughs> um, and I liked it. I thought it was cool. It, it wasn't particularly Disney-ish to me. Uh, and I was okay with that, but I, I kind of like the idea that you could be sort of at Disney World, but also in public at the same time. You know what I mean? Because it's not, it's not the total theme park overwhelming experience, but it's, it was the closest thing as a youngish person that I ever felt to like, this is kind of be like living at Disney World. Yeah. There, was a, there was a three summer stretch that I was there probably five nights a week. I loved Pleasure Island. So with that, with you coming from that area, are you... Are you disappointed that it's gone now and replaced with Disney Springs, or did it evolve to the point where you're content with what's there now? Uh, I would say I'm happily content. Okay, Is it, would that be allowed? Because if I had the to annoying, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so content well, that I'm pissed. <laughs> well, I, I I go with content being like, oh, all right, whatever. It's Ben's it's playing here. Mad Libs with his emotions right now. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I I don't love it. Uh, I do, and I I guess I do enjoy you like, it. I, like it. And I, I, a, I <laughs> the, Mad, the Mad Libs thing's got me thinking. Like, I'm waiting for him, like Ben, to say, and I like gumballs. <laughs> I 
I guess it's a bit unfair because if, if you gave me the option, I would put Pleasure Island back there in a heartbeat. Uh, but knowing that that is never coming back and, and, yep. and we'll never get that, uh, I do enjoy what is down there now. Uh, I do wonder how, like we talked about how uh, uh, New Fantasyland has aged and has fit into that area. I do wonder how some of this area is going to age over the years, yeah. namely the high-end shopping. I think we're already starting to see some stores falling out and, you know, you can only imagine what the prices are to have a store there. It's got to be ungodly. And frankly, I don't see a whole lot of people walking around with bags in hand. Yeah, I see a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Uh, I see the restaurants full. Uh, and it wouldn't shock me in 10 years from now if, uh, you know, half of the retail space is converted into other restaurants. Uh, because Probably, I, do yeah. think, I think that's something that will always stay popular down there. But as far as like the, the design, the architecture, I think that area around like Deluxe Burger with the lake is mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, and, and we found ourselves going there at night and just finding a chair and sitting and taking it all in. So I do enjoy what has ended up there. Um, and, and frankly, we find ourselves spending more and more time down there on our vacations uh, because of some of the new options. And, and we look forward to, you know, whenever they do announce a new restaurant, new new dining experience, new different things to go down there and check out, we go out of our way to, to go see it and, and have some fun down in there. So I, I like it. I think it's going to change how people tour. I yep. think because they're adding more attractions to parks other than the Magic Kingdom, I think you can get away with not getting park hoppers anymore and end your day at Disney Springs or do mm-hmm. a, a afternoon break for lunch and go over there. I think it's going to change the way people tour uh, because the dining options are so good and if you want to do your shopping, you can have the world of Disney and anything that is uh, available in the parks is pretty much over there. Um, speaking of shopping, I do think the evolution of shopping uh, in, in Disney World has had some positive changes as well. Uh, Marketplace Co-op is a really cool store over yep. at Disney Springs. Um, and then there's been an addition to a lot of attraction-specific merchandise, specifically Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. But these are all things where, yes, they're playing up our nostalgia for these attractions, but I'm Fine. a sucker for it. Do so, it. Yeah, do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm buying I, it. I feel like merch. this is sort of off the beaten path. I won't spend a lot of time on it. Um, but I think merchandising for a company that loves making money, um, mm-hmm. Disney's not very good at merchandising, honestly, because there are so it's many fleeting. people that, but people are willing to pay a lot for a quality item that, yeah. you know, that, that connects them to their favorite attraction. And with the exception of maybe it's not art of animation. What, what's the store called in Epcot? Um, Mouse gear. No. Oh, Art of Disney. Out of Art, Art of, of Disney. Disney. Yeah. Yes. You know that store excluded. There's not a lot of places where you can go and get you know a true quality souvenir of your favorite attraction. And Memento and Mori. And now Art of Disney is buried is buried deep in that park. It's at the uh, uh, American Adventure Pavilion now. It's no yeah. longer at the front of the park. Is that permanent though, or is that just while all of the shuffling goes on? Uh, I'm going to guess it's part of the shuffling, but I also suspect that it's not moving the needle as much as as uh, they'd like. And people that are sh- generally shopping at Art of Disney are probably going to the one in Disney Springs. Quite frankly, the American Pavilion is the absolute worst place to put a store yeah. like that. Because like high-end the, stuff. Even though they will take it to the front of the park for you, there's a, a large percentage of guests that don't know that, who are yeah, going right. to walk right by there thinking, I don't want to have to carry this thing literally yeah. the furthest possible distance that I could. So that's, that's, a, that's a very poor placement. It's uh, funny that you mentioned... That. 
You mentioned uh, Marketplace Co-op, though. That actually, between that one and then the new shop, uh, that's down where uh, on the west side where the Harley-Davidson store was. Mm-hmm. Uh, those have actually become must-dos on our trips, even to the point on our trip in November where we were staying at Universal, weren't going to Disney at all. We went out of our way one night to go down there to the co-op and that other store to see what new merch, uh, attraction merch they had, and we all ended up buying something. So... Like you said, keep playing on those emotions. We're happy. I'll open my wallet for that stuff any day. Yep, I mean, absolutely. what's the point of building those emotions up if you can't capitalize on it by selling me some swag? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Josh bought an Epcot Forever shirt, so he's really oh, I did. <laughs> In my defense, I hadn't seen the show yet. I immediately regret, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> I still maintain that like the, the, the funniest move would have been returning it that night. <laughs> I should have. It's like I showed this video in my class. There was a weight loss company. They sold... Uh, uh, diet pills back in the late 70s and early 80s and the name of the yep. company was AIDS you know it was before the AIDS episode. and there's commercials and it's like I lost weight with AIDS it's like sometimes you know the yeah, future that's... just pans out in a way that makes your decision very regrettable and that's I, pretty much how I feel about that shirt I, I wish we had video of you just ripping the shirt off and chucking it in the middle of the lagoon at the end of the show I should have lit it on fire and thrown it in the lagoon at least something pretty would have happened in Epcot that night walk out shirtless <laughs> Yelling, come at me, bro, to uh, whoever the VP of Epcot was at the time. <laughs> Just what I, I've always thought, because, you know, I've represented some people that have been uh, trespassed from property. And so I have some sort of at least professional relationship with Disney security and investigations. I'm, I just <laughs> imagine how awkward it would be if I got dragged into that security room. So trust Josh. me, I'm on, my, yeah, I'm on my best behavior when I'm there, I assure you. Uh, well, so sorry, speaking- I, I've got a couple of quick hit, hit items I just want to bang out, if that's okay. Go for it. So one thing, Epcot Forever is on that list, by the way. Um, I think what they should have done simply is transition from Illuminations to whatever comes next. Yep. If you're going to pander to me, pander to me well. And they they did not do that. That show sucks. Um, (laughs) Another item I got here, leaving the the goofy awnings up and scaffoldings around Test Track (laughs) when they did the the renovation to it. Um, Because the show building actually looks a lot better. inside and out, but that, that awning is really tacky. I understand maybe you have to provide some shade. I don't think they do a very good job, but you could certainly, there are awnings in the world that don't look like shit. And that is not one of them. <laughs> I'm generally not a fan of that building. Uh, e- even w- without the awnings, I don't think it's a particularly good looking building relative to some of the other ones in future world, but, but at least it's a modern weird shaped building. I mean, yeah, you, there, yeah. there's some cachet just to being weird it's in unique. the future. It's unique. I get it. Yeah. And, and they, they made it look like, it basically has the aesthetic of a Christmas tree tent because of that awning. So they, <laughs> it is an impressive structure, even if you don't, you know, subjectively, it, it you doesn't appeal to your taste. You can buy inventory of uh, oriental rugs that they have. You can buy it there. It's bad. It's, it's frustrating. Anyway, enough about that. Um, disrespect for, for sight lines is something that I that always bothers me for listeners who don't know. I don't know if we ever talked. I think we actually did a show about it. One of the contemplated show titles or titles for this podcast was the Sightlines podcast because mm-hmm. it's important to us. We, we like these places that are beautiful and, and the, the ability to obscure things in plain sight and skew distances are some of the fundamental magic tricks that Disney's always had up its sleeve. So to build uh, a giant cubular building. I'm not even sure if cubular <laughs> is a word, but to build that building right there and to, you know, then paint it tree green and sky blue uh, to make it magically disappear is, is disappointing to me. Um, I think the new version of Soren sucks. 
I don't think it sucks, but I think it is not nearly as good as the one that came before it. It lacks the, the emotional impact to me. The, the transitions are weak, uh, not as good. And then my final quick hit item is I think that the revised exit to Space Mountain is not nearly as good as what it replaced. With with Soren, it's I, I like both versions of it. I know this is like sitting on the fence here. I think that Soren around the world tried too hard to fix things that were perceived to be broken about the original Soren, and that like was like like the transitions uh, between hmm. scenes. It kind of it it forced transitions on it to the point where it was unnatural. Yeah, the, th- the 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 way you know a transition is good is that you never notice it, and right. that is definitely not the case with the transitions in the new version. They are very jarring. What I would what I would like is I think Soren Around the World fits Epcot better than the original Soren did. So I am a hundred percent on board with keeping Soren Around the World in Epcot and keeping Soren the original Soren over California in California, and that's the resolution to this because. Uh, it, as, at last check, Soren over California was still playing a California adventure. Uh, they played Soren around the world for a little bit, but it was uh, playing uh, the summer, the original version in 2019. I believe it's back to around the world. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> well, well, my vote is have a different one on each coast. Yeah. Your point on uh, on Space Mountain, I don't get why that change was made. It's confusing to me because it uh, really... Same here. If, if it was done to uh, make it easier for people with wheelchairs... The it's still a pretty steep ramp, so I don't know. It's, yeah, I hadn't, seemed, I hadn't heard that. Is is that sort of the the postulated explanation? Like I don't know what else the other option would be other than just not wanting to replace the speed ramp or uh, uh, fix the mechanism that's on there. But I don't know. I'm seeing if there's anything other than the uh, the next gen hits and, and uh, uh, yeah, Toy Story Edge, I, I Toy Story have, Land. Yeah, I've only got two more left. The two the two worst are what I have left on my list. One uh, one other quick hit that I had was the World Showcase restaurant restaurant additions. Mm. The reason why I'm acknowledging, like I, Via Napoli, I really like, uh, yeah. but uh, Hacienda de San Angel and Spice Road Table disrupt the waterfront of World Showcase, and I don't think that as restaurants it's worth that disruption. I don't know that either one of them are like must dos for many people. Um, there's nothing really wrong with Hacienda. I think Spice Road Table gets genuine hate, but um, disrupting the waterfront uh, bothers me a little bit. Not enough to uh, you know complain about it more than a minute or so, but um, you, Josh, you mentioned the Cinderella Castle Hub. I think this is a good quality of life update for Magic Kingdom, yeah. but I think people are probably also upset about the aesthetics that change, because anytime you change anything from your childhood, you're going to get pissed off. That one doesn't bother me so much for that because, and, and here's an area where I think perception was skewed for people because the way that I always saw the changes to the hub described was accompanied by a direct overhead aerial shot. Mm-hmm. And that's not how we experience the hub. Right. We, we experience it from ground level. And from ground level, the change that they made is not nearly as disruptive to the aesthetics as it right. is when you right. look at it from, from you know, God's eye view. So I, I, don't, I don't think that that was a downgrade. I think they did a competent job of it. Um, and they needed some relief there. Yeah. There's just so much human pressure that Disneyland something was going to burst. Disneyland would love to be able to do something like that. Sure. But they can't. The last quick hit thing I had was the Muppets present great moments in American history. I think that Disney has struggled since getting the Muppets with how to use the Muppets. And while this was kind of 
there, there was conflicting opinions on whether or not this was appropriate for Liberty Square. I think shows like this, like the one-off entertainment type things where they just appear, is a great way to use them. And maybe this isn't necessarily the right spot for them, but a similar type show was rumored to be along Grand Avenue leading into Star Wars Land. I would love to see this type of like rooftop entertainment near the Muppet Vision Theater. So conceptually, I enjoyed the show when I happened when I happened upon it. Um, didn't really object to it being in Liberty Square, but I, I think it was just an a way that they could use the Muppets, but not necessarily build like a Muppet ride. Uh, just kind of as an entertainment option that right. happens a handful of times a day. Like, and it comes the- at, it comes at no cost. Yeah, I mean they're not demolishing something to do it. So th- those are the sorts of things that I I fully support. Did the Grand Avenue show not happen? It did not. Damn it, Jim Hill. <laughs> Why don't we talk uh, uh, Hollywood Studios? There's a couple of major things that have happened in the last few years. Um, Toy Story Land, we've we've all walked through it. What were you guys' expectations of it, and what? Uh, how did it deliver on those expectations? Ben, it's, you first. My expectations were similar to the additions that were done in the uh, parks uh, overseas. Okay. Which just, you know, I was expecting to see this kind of same theming, the look. I think we got exactly the same. I think the weather conditions in those parks, though, lent themselves to not needing the things that we needed over here, uh, a.k.a. the shade that everybody talks yeah. about and uh, the coverage. So, uh, you know, the, the look came off exactly, I think, what I had imagined in my head. Uh, the two attractions, uh, you know, we, we love... Mater's Junkyard Jamboree out in California Adventure. So mm-hmm. we were looking forward to this attraction. I don't think it pulls it off to the same level Junk uh, Mater's does for. I don't really know the reason. Uh, you know, it's 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 essentially Larry the exact- cable guy singing. That's the reason. It's yeah, dumb, get- but it's Larry the cable guy singing yeah. is the reason why that works. <laughs> yeah. So we we definitely have more fun of it out in the DCA than we do uh, out at uh, Hollywood Studios. Slinky Dog though, uh, that was that was a sleeper attraction to me. Yeah, I, I didn't think much of that at all. I absolutely love that ride. I think it has way more thrills. Uh, than, than any of us anticipated. Yep. Uh, and I know we discussed uh, on our previous show, you know, I think it lends itself to being plus and upgraded over the years. I think it's a ride that's going to, I do think it'll age well. And I think they, they have the option to do things to that ride that'll uh, keep it current and keep people coming back. And I don't see that line dying down anytime soon. We, we are definitely huge fans of uh, what we got out of that ride. My note says Slinky Dog Dash was better than expected. Um, to your point on the Hello. other, oh, sorry, what'd you say? Hello. I think we lost Ben. <laughs> I'm going to continue. Ben, you can figure it out. Um, <laughs> Slinky, Slinky Dog Dash is better than expected. Uh, I do think this is the best version of a Toy Story Land that they've done. We've talked about it on here that I don't think the oversized propping is a particularly good theme, but you can execute a poor theme well, and I think they did that here. But this isn't going to be – no version of this can be as good as Pandora or Galaxy's Edge. It's better this, than Pop Century. Let's put it that way. That's it fair. Do, that's it fair. doesn't have that like off-putting gaudiness to it, even though it's sort of the same genre. The, uh, the, the missed opportunities here, there was no restaurant at the outset, which mm-hmm. seemed odd. They are building one. Um, and why they didn't do a Pizza Planet playset uh, and just do – and like put an actual Pizza Planet in there is uh, – a missed opportunity as well. But 
Um, those are just the, these small things with Toy Story Land. Uh, I, otherwise, I kind of agree with what Ben said. Alien Swirling Saucers is fine for what it is. And these are things that, like, Hollywood Studios needed. It didn't have yep. oh, yeah. a, a small flat ride. So that's fine. I don't have to go on every ride in every park. Um, so adding those, like, B-ticket attractions to round out the attraction lineup, I have no problem with that. I was actually pretty impressed with how fast they moved on the restaurant uh, and, and realized the mistake <laughs> they that they to. made there. Yeah, <laughs> it, but, you know, them moving that quickly on a brand new area, they don't tend to do that uh, a lot. They, they would let them sit that linger and, and, and continue to be an issue for a while, but they they came up with a decision, they announced it, and, you know, based on the con- recent construction photos that, uh, that, that we've seen, it's going up quick. So, uh, you know, kudos to them for fixing this problem I think at a pretty fast pace. There's an old quote that I, that literally came from a top manager at IBM when they were getting their butt handed to them by Compaq and HP and other computer companies, that it takes IBM five years to design a box that a computer will ship in. And I feel sometimes (laughs) like Disney struggles with that same problem. Whereas, you know, the guys down the street don't, uh, universal moves very quickly. And, uh, they also have a tendency to announce ideas, you know, the amount of time that elapses between the announcement and delivery is so much shorter than Disney. So right. it is nice to see that they have at least the ability to to move quickly, even if it's a restaurant, not, you know, a multi-million dollar attraction. But still, at least they could do something fast. How long did it take to build the Tangled restrooms? Like 18 months? Something like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else on Toy Story Land? No, I haven't got to experience it in person. Unfortunately, I didn't make it there on my last trip. It was on the agenda, but it didn't happen. So... It looks. I, I'm okay with the lack of shade. I don't know why everyone freaks out about that. You're in, you're in the sun the whole time. You're walking around all these parks. I'm not sure why when you go into a land, people all of a sudden think the whole thing needs to be covered. But because there, there really hey, isn't much shade, there's no hey, trees there. As I say, uh, mark the time that he said that. So when we <laughs> hear, hear the review. We can pull this right back up. Josh, we're gonna hold hands in Toy Story Land in July, and you're gonna you're gonna be wishing for shade. But I don't go to the park in July. I know better than that. If you're if you're going to the park in July, I've got news for you. It's in Orlando. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> August too, by the way. Sorry, yep, yep. spoiler alert. You know that's why you go in October. Like why, don't we, why don't we move to uh, to Galaxy's Edge, the uh, Ben's favorite land? What's that? <laughs> so they announced this in 2015. By the skin of their teeth, they got it open in 2019. At least in Florida, there are some incredible things with this land. There are some poor decisions with this land. Using that as the introduction, Josh, why don't you uh, why don't you go into it? Sure. So, so item two on my worst creative decisions list is opening the land with a, without the headliner attraction there. And I, I suspect yep. that was on your list too. Yeah. Um, and we, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because I've really given the same diatribe before, yeah. but um, you know, it, it just comes down ultimately to what the first impression is to what the sense of this land is. Is it, is it a minor expansion that's got an attraction in it or is it a whole new land that is anchored by a truly remarkable attraction? And um, it seems now that we have the benefit of history unfolding behind us that uh, Rise of the Resistance is an incredible attraction. Uh, yes. the, the videos I've seen support that. The, the reviews that I've heard from people that I, that I am close friends with and know and trust support that. Um, so, which makes the decision all that much more ponderous because they missed such an opportunity to get, um, you, you know, positive media coverage out of it. And more importantly, their actual guests, their, you know, their customers, the people that are forming their impression experience this without really getting the impact of what it was. Now, I think yeah. the land itself is, is beautiful. It's incredibly thematically good. Um, but 
the opening of this was a incredibly poorly ham-fisted operation. Yeah, I mean, operate. Uh, I think we we said it on here that it's rare that you get a second chance to make a first impression, and they did with this. And the second time around with Rise of the Resistance, while operational issues aside, the actual attraction itself, they they killed it. Everybody yep. everybody that's seen this thing has raved about it, saying that it's incredible. It it delivered on the expectations that we asked of it. We said it needs to be at the very least in the conversation for best theme park experience in the world. And it is absolutely in that conversation. And by most people's standards, well above anything else that's ever been done. Yeah. So, which is, which the company deserves so much credit for that. Yes. But, but to, to have deprived themselves of the opportunity to come out of the gate with that is something I'll, I'll go to my grave, not understanding that decision. And it, it's, it was just, it's, it was ego. They thought, they thought the land itself was enough. It was misguided ego saying everybody loves Star Wars and all we need is the intellectual property to anchor this. And, and it, yeah. your, your, your explanation is interesting because let's imagine that Rise of the Resistance wasn't a thing and they opened mm-hmm. it with just uh, Smuggler's Run. Yep. It would have been a good land. You the, ask the, what they would have done with Harry Potter. That, that would have been the like best been case scenario. But like, the, best case scenario. But the problem yeah. is... And I've mentioned this before. The, the problem is that opening this land, if the land had only in, ever intended to have Smuggler's Run, and they open it with Smuggler's Run, then it would have been judged initially for what it was. Mm-hmm. Some people would have loved it. Some people wouldn't have, whatever. But that would have been at least a judging based on the merits. But to have the thing that really makes it remarkable not there when people are forming their first impression is to have it judged for less than what it is, for substantially yeah. less than what it is. And that it's just, oh my God, what are they thinking? <laughs> it, it's interesting because I, you know, mentioned at the top of the show with uh, my wife going there uh, a week and a half ago. And again, she's not done anything with Star Wars. And this was Disneyland. She was literally there the day before Rise opened to the public. Oh, <laughs> so she did not ride Rise. And she rode Smuggler's Run twice. And she got to go into Galaxy's Edge uh, for two separate days, she ate at Docking Bay Seven. She went to the shops. She bought me some popcorn. Brought the popcorn back. That was uh, delicious. But when I asked her her opinion on Galaxy's Edge, her takeaway was, "I don't get it." She didn't understand anything. She didn't understand what she was doing, where she was, why she was doing what she was doing. And she didn't have that big e-ticket attraction where she could at least walk away and go, but that ride that I did blew my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you, di- you didn't have that. We all have that experience on different things. I think somebody could never see an Indiana Jones movie in their life, but go on uh, the Indiana Jones adventure yeah. in Disneyland and be like, that thing's freaking awesome. She didn't get to have that experience. She she got to ride Smuggler's Run, which was fine. It didn't blow her away. Didn't do the anything. The emotion for, for Smuggler's Run has to. You have to be familiar with the source material. And, and thankfully, Star Wars is one of the biggest franchises on the planet. So yeah, there are- and I get. I guess that's something that makes me a bit excited with her not understanding it, it as a fan. To me, I'm going. I don't. I, I don't know if I necessarily wanted her to get it because if she did, it'd be just a homogenized version of a Star Wars land. I mm-hmm. wanted them to take chances. I wanted them to do things that we wouldn't, you know, uh, expect them to do necessarily. Even though we, you know, argued on a previous show that they should do the familiar, they didn't do the familiar. They 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 did the obscure, <laughs> uh, and 
you know, we'll see down the line if that's a good decision or a bad decision. But I think for me, initially, it's it's something I'm excited to go do and see it in, in that way. But yeah, she walked away with not having that big e-ticket, uh, mind-blowing attraction like Josh is mentioning that, that many first-timers, when they experience that line that first time, that's what they need to get you to go back. So I guess what I'm trying to say as well, you know, we're going back this summer. She's not that excited to go back to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Granted, there she's go. gonna get she's gonna get to ride Rise. I think her opinion will change when she rides Rise. But I hope so. As it as it stands right now, if Rise was not open, she could give or take Galaxy's Edge and Smuggler's Run. She doesn't need to do that one ever again. That and that's just her opinion on it. The day that my daughter was born, my sister and her family woke up at four o'clock in the morning to uh, get to Hollywood Studios early enough to get a Rise of the Resistance. Uh, boarding pass and my nephew uh, that day we talked to him because I knew that they had gone on it or sorry the next day we talked to them and nine years old waking up at four o'clock in the morning generally not a willing participant in such activities said (laughs) it was absolutely worth it Um, and that's what you're hearing that the the boarding group process it sucks people are having to get up early it's really an inconvenience thing you got to plan basically two days worth of you know early night and then early morning excuse me uh, and everybody is saying uh, it was totally worth it. So, it, but I can I can tell you what two months out, and I have a one day and one shot at this, and I'm scared shitless. I'm yeah, every fair. day checking Twitter to see if there's any trends, if there's any idea, yep. because I don't want to get up at five in the morning and get there and it'd be 7.04, and I have a backup boarding group that has no shot of getting on. So it's it's added a, another level of stress to my you know trip that would not normally That's be fair. there totally if there was fair. other options. Adding stress to your trip is a good segue to my number one item. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I, I, di- I did have one thing to jump in here that I missed. Uh, Flights of Wonder, last day of operation was 2017. Oh this show that replaced it, the Up a Great Bird Adventure, has gone through three different rewrites, and it just simply doesn't work. Up might be my favorite Pixar movie. I, I like the characters Russell and Doug, uh, the dog, but like a six foot tall dog uh, that draws his humor from facial expressions and is now being represented by a foam walk around character just doesn't work for com- for comedy, and it's just a miserable, miserable show. Um, speaking of miserable, uh, Fast Jesus, Pass and Next Jesus Gen. Go. It's a miserable, miserable show, Tim Grassy. <laughs> so we, we try to find some good in these things. I found one good thing to come from Next Gen, and it's the photo pass for AP holders. Yep. The, fact that, the fact that they've done that and added uh, like the automatic on-ride photos, that's like the one aspect of this that is working pretty well. <laughs> That you get your on-ride photos. If you're going to a lot of character meet and greets, you get that. We are not fans I'll of I'll admit that. It, that is cool. I, mean, I found out about it by accident. I didn't know it was yeah. a thing. You know, you log on and your pictures are That is a cool surprise. We use it like crazy. Yeah, it, it is absolutely a, a great benefit that has come from the last 10 years. Um, I want to talk before we, we bitch about it, about some of the history of what FastPass Plus was. Uh, first, I don't know, did you guys know that this was originally called X-Pass and then Disney found out that was a porn site so they had to change the name? <laughs> no, that's it's, it, it, that's a great story though. That, that is absolutely true. So um, Then they were going to call was, it Pass uh, Hub. Hold on, let me, xpass.com, let me touch that, hold on. Is that... <laughs> 
I don't know if it still exists, but at the time that they were doing this, it definitely existed. Xpass.cock. <laughs> I'll be doing research over here. Y'all continue talking. So uh, I, I was given a, a slide out of the presentation for it. And what the slide showed was the number of Xpass entitlements to be expected per park per day. Uh, Magic Kingdom, the expectation was three or four. Uh, depending on the uh, the crowd level, um, Epcot uh, Studios and Animal Kingdom was two or three, depending on the crowd level. And something that they said to incre- increase the option or capacity of the XPass program was the following, and this was at the beginning of this. So this is probably like oh eight oh nine that this pitch came in. Uh, shift a percentage of resort guest XPass reservations into extra magic hours. Include entertainment offerings, example character meet and greets, parade viewings. Keep in mind that when FastPass Plus launched, or sorry, before FastPass Plus, there was a lot fewer uh, attractions that were using it. Mm-hmm. The uh, enable XPass blockout periods for cast members and comp tickets during peak attendance. Add park hours to increase overall capacity uh, and build preferred attraction capacity. Soren Third Theater, new e-ticket attraction. This is the first mention of the Soren Third Theater as far as I know. Uh, and this would have been probably like seven or eight years before it actually happened. So this was all the original pitch. And there were regular days where they didn't think that Epcot Studios or Animal Kingdom could accommodate more than two guests per day or two, two uh, fast passes per day. And that is one of the many problems with the system. But uh, I know you guys have your own opinions of it. Um, I've made mine abundantly clear over the years. But why don't you guys go into it? So I don't even know where to start. Um, (laughs) It's one of those things where I'm not sure that everyone involved actually knew what it was supposed to be. (laughs) Because it's it's like the definition of a buzzword. It meant something different to everyone, it seems. Uh, yeah. It seems like the company had some desire to have a system like this for purposes of maybe being able to monitor guest flow or perhaps even influence guest flow. There was the public-facing explanation for it, which is to add convenience and streamline the the process of waiting to, uh, to go on an attraction. And all of those things, when you write them down on paper, sound good. The, the problem is that there are so many, like you know, second and third order consequences that happen from it, that what the actual impact that it has in reality is almost the opposite of a lot of those things. So obviously the, you know, the arbitrariness and free flowingness of a vacation, spontaneousness that used to be possible is really not anymore. And contrary to the stated purpose from that document that you just read from, by putting this system onto rides that don't normally have long lines, what they've actually done is reduce the effective capacity of them. So They're deceiving I, guests by doing that, by creating false demand. Uh, exactly. And the if the goal of the system, I, I guess to, for me to be able to objectively put it in the bad list, which I think I can do, I have to say that the company, if you ask them, would say that at least one of the purposes of the system was to improve the guest experience. And I think that it is, it is patently doing the opposite of that. It creates stress. It creates a consequence for failing to have expertise about tra- traveling to the Disney parks significantly ahead of a trip. Um, it reduces flexibility dramatically. It increases weights for rides that don't have organic demand. And the payoff that, you know, you didn't really have to justify this program 
according to how Disney pitched it, because it wasn't detriment. It was all upsides. But what we ended up really getting was a lot of detriment that they didn't anticipate. And when you look at all of the pro things that were in their pro column, the things that, uh, you know, the character is going to know what your kid had for breakfast and what your dog's name is, those things didn't happen. So it's like we got all of the negatives and we didn't get a whole lot of the It took four years for our names to be at the end of It's a Small World. Four years from implementation yeah. for them go. to put our name at the end of It's a Small World. What year did E.T. open? <laughs> you know, I mean, this is just, it, it really is a boondoggle. It was incredibly expensive. I think that there's a lot of ego tied up into it. And while I'm sure there are a lot, there are a lot of patsies who probably lost their jobs for this. Nick Franklin, it, Bruce Vaughn, Tom Staggs, Jay Rizzullo. Literally air photoshopped out of existence. <laughs> I feel like Tom Staggs is actually gone. It's like when Michael J. Fox went clear at the end, when he was at the enchantment under the sea dance. A light breeze drifted him into the sea. <laughs> So it's just, it, it's in a perfect world where there were no ego, where there are no shareholders, where, there, where there's not, you know, accountability to investors. I think the right move here is you, is you say, look, this was a mistake. We're unwinding the whole thing. But but they can't do that. They've they, At this point, they are so entrenched in this thing that they have to try and salvage it. And I think part of the way they're doing it, and I, I the way I wrote it on my list was a joke. I wrote my Magic Plus, my Disney Experience, Fast Pass Plus, all hyphenated. Because mm-hmm. where one ends and where one begins is very amorphous. It's not clear to me, you know, what the distinctions are between all these programs. Fast Pass Plus maybe being accepted. Yep. But you know, they're all sort of merged together. There's not a clear boundary. And then Disney's got these other things like the uh, play, the Disney Play app. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Which that should be a part of this because that is an integral kind part. Kind of is, <laughs> but it's a separate app, right? You know, it's like, it's like this. The the we were talking about avatars being maybe a mediocre idea that is salvaged by the fact that the implementation was phenomenally good. Mm-hmm. Here you have something where the core of the idea is fine. Right, the the idea, the 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 values that they were trying to achieve, or the goals they're trying to achieve, are fine. But the implementation is just a disaster. It's just not well done. It's it's this is what I expect from Six Flags. This is not what I expect from from the Walt Disney Company. So let me let me ask the question this way: This was a major major investment, two billion dollars by yep. all accounts. Yep. Cost a handful of people their jobs. The initial. The initial thought was beyond the guest-facing side of things that this was going to improve things internally with Disney, be it scheduling, be it for, uh, from an efficiency standpoint. The yep. mindset here was that this was going to be how they combat Harry Potter with efficiency, with getting people uh, through things quicker, whatever the logic that was ultimately misguided. They had a plan of like 10 fast passes for people. And my understanding is that a lot of this was fueled by Jay Rizzullo's insistence of the advanced booking component of FastPass Plus. And that was pushed away uh, by operations who were saying, this isn't going to work, this is a problem, etc. And don't get me wrong, there are people that like this, but for the most part, it's a stress-inducing nightmare. If that goes away and they still spent the $2 billion, they, have this, they, they improved the infrastructure from a technology standpoint and they just reverted to the legacy fast pass rules. Are we okay with this? Is it yes. like just, okay. Yeah. Yes. That, the, the, that's, the, I think, the, all it takes. 
The fast pass component of it is by far the worst because it's the, it has the most direct impact on guests that is negative. Yeah. You know, I don't care if you want to track me as I move through the park, that's fine. But I think the way if I had to be if and this is the premise of the show, so I'll go ahead and run with this for a minute. If yeah. I found myself, well, first of all, pants are going to come on, but I get transported magically into a boardroom at Disney and I'm asked, what do you do to fix this program? Mm-hmm. What you if you have the data to understand what guests are doing and also you have the data to understand where at what points on your property your resources are being taxed. In other words, what attractions are, you know, have ex- ex- tremendously long queues that don't normally do, and yep. what attractions that people want to go on are basically being ignored. What you want to do is manipulate guest behavior. But the way they're yep. trying to do it now is months in advance, and it, it doesn't work that way. No. What What needs to happen, now that everyone's walking around with a smartphone, is you want to create positive incentives. You don't want to create a disincentive system where you're punishing people so they're not going to go on this ride because the line is too long. You want to incent them to go to attraction that they might not experience by letting them know that the, that the queues are short. Have a pop-up exactly. come up on the My Disney app that says, you've been invited to go right to the front of the line. You know, just head, head on over here and, and you'll get yep. a, you know. Yep, five-minute wait for pirates. Head people, over there. People are so easy to manipulate. And Disney is excellent at storytelling and doing this and connecting to people in ways that make them feel something. But they they... They did the opposite. They totally played against their own strengths. As we've said, if only our devices had some sort of notification (laughs) that could be pushed out to the people one day day, (laughs) when this technology exists, then and and only then will Disney fully realize the next gen investment. And they did, and they did that with the Legacy Fast Pass system as well with the bonus Fast Passes. And guess what? We always used them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, so it, often it, it was for things that didn't need it, but at least no, moved you over but we, there. But I still, yeah, I would still take it over. Let's use it. Th- this was a situation that instead of having identifying a problem and then finding a way to use technology to solve it, they decided they were going to use technology. And then, and then they fabricated a problem and said, this is the solution that our <laughs> new cure is good for. But the problem is it wasn't. It wasn't really a problem. And this thing didn't fix anything. So it's it's the classic case of the cure being worse than the disease. And I think it is fixable. You undo it the fast pass part. You, we can you fix manipulate it tomorrow. guest behavior. You, you could fix it tomorrow. And every time you know they add fast pass to a new attraction, it just shows that they're they are doubling down on their mistake. Give me max pass, and I'll be happy. The exactly the one component of this that I don't know how much of a linchpin in the entire creative side of things it actually threw was if you guys remember during the creation of this uh senator ed markey called into question the tracking component of it and uh, i I don't know if if Iger had to like go to a senate hearing or anything like that but he was definitely questioned publicly by um by the senator and i don't know if that caused them to dial back some of what they wanted to do but I don't know that we're ever going to hear that story. I assume no. I think it was just a matter of like getting some sort of public facing thing. It's yeah. I mean, I would imagine. I would hope no, because of course you're. But you're on their property. We think yeah. you, you think they don't know where people are. In the uh, never forget category, uh, Sid Kawinga's one of a kind shop closed to become FastPass Plus headquarters in 2013 for uh, for Hollywood Studios. So something things like that that we don't really think about anymore. Only seven years removed from it, there were a lot of other casualties to this. Just kind of eating up dead space with the uh, the, the booths, a bunch of stuff like that that just really kind of didn't help the park. But 
in general, we're not a fan of this. <laughs> to say no. the least. Yes. Do we have anything else for our decade-long review? I have exhausted my list. Uh, I've gone through all seven pages and then some. <laughs> so uh, if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled uh, or join in the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate links over on martycalled.com. Use it for your President's Day purchases. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you are going to make anyway. President's Day is actually the 363rd busiest shopping day of the year. So. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, ben, where can we find you online? You got a new Twitter account, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You can, uh, you can find me on my old Twitter, at uh, RealSkipperBen. Uh, you can also find me in my uh, top ten columns in every issue of Attractions Magazine. And uh, as if I didn't have enough things going on uh, already, I decided to start a new Twitter page where we uh, just look back at... Uh, Old Disney clips from television specials and things like that. Old photos. Uh, it's called at Remember When WDW. So uh, join us over there for little daily videos that uh, we throw up. It's at Copyright Infringement. dot <laughs> <laughs> com. We uh, at, we actually at, at Fair Use. dot <laughs> com. On the heels of you putting the Boy Meets World one up there, we we watched that episode, which is on Disney Plus. I believe it was season three, episode twenty-one, if my memory serves me correctly, where they go to Disney World, and it was kind of fun to see what it looked like twenty-five years ago. So fun. Yes. Anyway, Josh, where can we find you online? Utilidors.com. Two O's. Second O for savings. Have a nice day. <laughs> Until next time, have a good one. See ya. Peace. I gotta go book my fast passes now. I'm going to Disney in three years. about to sneeze good luck Fuck. godspeed every, every time we start to record <laughs> like pavlov's <coughs> pavlov's fucking dog over here tim says record <laughs> i sneeze and we have the end of the show <laughs> <laughs>